is this thing on? It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a fucking minute, huh? Oh my god. So, for those who don't know, I'm sure no one here has ever even listened to us or even knows that we know each other. Um, so, I'm Zach. That's Ryan. You? Um, we actually had a podcast, what, what was it? Probably like, started off October... 2019. Oh my god, it's been about a year and a half now. Has it been that long? Yeah, I think so. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, so we had a podcast a while ago, and, um, well, we would try to cover topics like sports, try to cover topics, politics, uh, all kinds of stupid shit. Food. (laughs) (laughs) Which we actually just had Hoagie Haven. This is an unofficial sponsorship. Shout out Hoagie Haven. Yeah, facts. Fucking Hoagie Haven's a shit. Sponsor us, please. We would love to. We would get some free fucking Hoagie shirts. I think a fucking free Sanchez. Absolutely. Do you don't even like the Sanchez. What are you talking about? I eat the Sanchez. I just prefer the fucking, uh, I just prefer the chicken parm stuff. That's all. Whatever. Um, so yeah, no, um, that, that was called the Minor League Witnesses. I feel like I already said that. Uh, after a very long hiatus, um, kind of feel like we're fucking J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar at this point. We're just fucking, like, giving people... So much fucking time. Yeah, right? No one even gives a shit about, about this podcast. What do we care? Anyway. Um, so, you know, we decided we're going to start this back up. We're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, first off was the name change, obviously. We are now called Infinity's End, uh, which uh, I'll explain the meaning of that at some point. Um, and the format's going to be a lot different. We're going to be talking about different things as opposed to just sports and politics because I mean shit like we're two individuals who can talk about things more than two binary subjects you know what I mean I think that was our problem at first you know because it's not like you and I can't hold a steady conversation you know it's like we don't have to hold this one priority conversation then the next other priority conversation and then try to flip flop between it and make it some form of Entertainment. Obviously, there's talking points, but you know we're not gonna have straight up. Oh well, I mean this happened in baseball, and then Trump did this. <laughs> you know, so it's not like that no more. Nah, fuck all that noise, dude. Um, so yeah, pretty much all this is this first episode is really just gonna be a catching up point at this. You know, to be honest with you. Uh, um, I, I guess I doubt. I, I think we only have the three listeners that were our family. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, mean, I've. Uh, I could uh, introduce we could we, you introduced me, but we can just introduce ourselves through whatever we have to talk about, and then people get to know us pretty quickly. For the most part, yeah. I mean, dude, you and I are fucking like open books. Yeah, it ain't, ain't hard to get to know us. Um. So yeah, I mean, like I said, the format's gonna be a lot different. Um. We really just want to have this more or less as just like a uh, fuck around, chill with the boys. Probably uh, at some point, maybe not today. Yeah, we could start today. We could start drinking at some point. If yeah, we to. I'm not going to work. Oh, hey, Jameson's in the fucking uh, pantry downstairs, dude. We'll bring up the bottles and the glasses. We have the diet ginger ale to fucking make it work. Um, Fuck yeah, dude. That diet ginger ale just sounds good as shit with the Jameson. Dude, it's so fucking good. With the black barrel, too, it's so fucking sweet. Uh, honestly, the black barrel is slowly taking over proper 12 as my favorite whiskey. Really? Honestly, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Don't get into that yet. That's one of the fucking topics, man. No, I just felt like saying it. It reminded me. <clears throat> All right, whatever. I mean, who am I to fucking judge, I guess? Um, so, yeah. Um, obviously, we're, we're going to take our time to go over what we have to talk about here. Because, I mean, we still have talking points. Oh, know? yeah, obviously. We're not just going to go fucking, like, shit and dicks with this. Or even fucking Bill Burr has fucking talking points at his... his 
podcast producer gives him. So and even granted, we're not Bill Burr. No, we're not. We're nowhere near as funny. We are funny. We're just listening to him. Bill Burr, please just listen to us. Give us a platform, please. It'd be nice. We'll uh, do a live podcast one day. That'd be fun. He did one actually. Oh god, that sounds like a shit show. No, no, no. It was it was very funny. Um, like I should pull it up at some point later. Yeah, for real. It, it, and it's like the longest podcast he ever did. It was like almost two hours long. God damn. Yeah. It, it was just. It was just. Well, well, I mean, if it's live, you can't really put a restraint like radio does. True. Well, he's not even. Dude, podcast isn't radio. Podcast I mean, is I mean, substitute radio. I, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> All right, so getting right into it. Bill Burr says, "Plowing ahead." Um. So we first thing we're gonna talk about is our predictions for 2021. Uh, today is January 29th. So, granted, we're about a month behind on that, <laughs> but. Uh, to say the least, a lot of shit's been happening in January. It's already been a pretty crazy start to the month. The fucking Capitol riots, and then we had fucking like so many legends dying all at once. Larry King, um, Hank Aaron, for fuck's sake. Uh, there was somebody recently who just died yesterday. Uh, Cecily Thompson or something, I think her name was. I don't want to get that name wrong. Oh, the actress. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just everybody's just like ever since. Honestly, and like a couple days ago was the year anniversary of Kobe. Yeah, you know uh, Cecily Tyson. Cecily Tyson, excuse me. Forgive my ignorance on that, but uh, uh, with everything that went on in uh, twenty twenty and how everybody blew up twenty twenty as the worst year that could have possibly happened because we had to make one slight adjustment. You know, it was just. Uh, no, there's more than just one slight adjustment, but yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but it's like <clears throat> I don't necessarily have high expectations for how 2021 is going to be. I go into 2021 the same way I went into 2020. All right, just get the shit over with. You know, I guess what my big thing would be is that my prediction is a little bit more unity. Is it? A little bit. You know, there's obviously still going to be division, but my prediction for 2021 is the same shit. Maybe near the end of the year, we'll start to be able to be people again and start to actually go do stuff. Oh, yeah, let's hope, man. But with more unity, because I want to go to a I want to go to a baseball game this summer, and I want to go to a, I want to go to a football game next winter. Dude, I'm still sitting here with the fucking concert tickets for the Hell Mega Tour, which I still have to buy. Dude, I'm gonna fucking fight if that show gets canceled. Like, gotta get your fucking money back, bro. I would, but like that's not my. I don't give a shit about the money. I give a shit about seeing Green Day. I feel you. I want to cross that off my bucket list for all I fucking know. That could be their last tour. I, I hope not. I love them. Um, but yeah, no, I just. I want to fucking see them live. That's all I can. I was really excited when they announced Hell Omega too, because I'm like, because Weezer was involved in that, and you're a Green Day guy, I'm a Weezer guy. And, so, and this poor Fallout Boy, who like we just haven't had a Fallout Boy fan friend come come into our circle. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but you know, uh, it's like, and even then, I I, I fucks with Fallout Boy a little bit. I'm more of an older Fallout Boy fan, but you know, I'm not gonna sit here and act like they don't make good music for the style that they do. Um. I will say this. I appreciate Fall Boy because they're the they're the ones that inducted um, Green Day into the oh, shit. Nice. Thanks. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012, I think it was. So. It was that long ago? Yeah. Holy shit. For me, I was thinking it took them that long. They, they came out with American Idiot. That's a Hall of Fame uh, candidate right there. Yeah. I mean, even Dookie was a Hall of Fame <laughs> album. That's, a, that's their debut, man. You can't, <laughs> you can't jump the gun on that <laughs> too early. They had to prove themselves further on. They had to come out with fucking good riddance and the acoustic songs. They had to show that as time ticks by, still they try. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, <clears throat> you, you say unity. 
Your prediction. Yeah. Now, like, what do you, I mean, like, obviously you're making a prediction, not a hope. So, like, making the prediction, like, like do you see us on a course to unity? Uh, like, wait, we're, the, we're like predicting the weather out here, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, I guess more or less that's my hope, not my prediction. My prediction is uh, we're just going to be dealing with the same shit, except one side of the spectrum is going to be mad compared to how the other side of the spectrum was mad the last year. Four years or so. Yeah, it kind of flips. It just flip flops, and then the, they're just gonna be mad and complaining. But we, it's just gonna be the same shit. My one prediction is that we're gonna eventually end up settling with the vaccine. We're actually gonna end up getting something done with that. Fingers we're crossed. we're gonna go back to normal as people, and we're actually going to make progress as a country, let alone as just people. It's fair. You know, and not even like in the sense of like everybody being involved or having everybody feel okay. Like we're just gonna make strides to make sure that everybody knows we're the best. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't wanna seem like a pessimist here, but I don't know. I don't I don't see twenty twenty one changing much to be honest with you. Like I think um like with the vaccine, um, I think that that might like help reduce some of the restrictions. But I don't, I don't see it really doing much else. I don't see it, like, I don't see us going back to normal. You know what I mean? I just wanted to be back normal enough to where it might be possible for me to go to a game. That's, <laughs> is that all you care about? I just want to go back to sporting events. <laughs> I have, so, I had so much fun at those Thunder games. Dude, the Thunder's not there anymore. Oh, man. they're gonna. I think they're just gonna be independent. I think they're just gonna move into the independent league. That's not. That's not the same. <laughs> you're, not, you're gonna miss all the chances to see all those, uh, those injured. Uh, professionals out there. Unless just... you want to take the fucking hour drive to Somerset. Fuck that. I'm not doing a triple A. But no, I mean, come on, man. Like, Trenton Thunders, it was a place all the injured, like, big leaguers went, and they hated their time there. They had to be there for, like, a week. I mean, granted, we all saw, we saw Aaron Judge before he was Aaron Judge. We saw... I don't yeah, even know if I did, dude. I did. I, did. I got his autograph. Did you? Yeah. It's pretty good. He was a big motherfucker. Oh, I bet. Dude, it's like, what, six, six foot eight? Six, seven, six, eight, something like that. And like, like six, eight, he, already look, he already looks massive on TV, but it ain't shit compared to uh, how you see him in person. I remember talking to Antonio about this briefly because he used to work at Trenton Thunder. And he said that he uh, was taking out the trash one day and he was just going through the tunnel and Aaron Judge was in the tunnel. And we already know that like Antonio is like my height, maybe a little taller than me. For full disclosure, Ryan's about like five foot eight. Yeah, around that five eight, five nine, five ten on a good day. So basically, I'm six foot. <laughs> Just getting some platforms. But uh, <laughs> he said that it was like, it was it was like his hips or his abs were up to the top of his head. He's just a big hulking dude. Dude, I would be terrified to like. <laughs> deconstruct the fact that you're in a fucking like minor league baseball system and he's a player if you're in a fucking like dark tunnel and you just bump into somebody like that that's fucking terrifying and then you just bump into some six seven mastodon yeah dude, dude like fucking strip away all contacts all you have is just i'm walking in a dark tunnel with garbage in my hands and this big guy comes up you just just please take everything <laughs> take everything that's in this garbage I want nothing to do with it or you and you can run my pockets too if you want it please I'm not gonna stop you just don't just don't hurt me I will empty my pockets out for you so you don't touch me because your hands will fracture me I, I will unlock my phone for you I'll let you change your password go, go. I'm not looking I'm not looking <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, the card number is 44 four. 
uh, the security code <laughs> and the zip code because I know for online orders you need zip code. It's zero. <laughs> After that, you can just use your address. Yeah, just go for it, man. Just put it all in. I don't care. Take all the passwords to my accounts, too. Um, no, I mean, my prediction really for 2021 is, is I think that it's going to be more of the same, um, which is a shame to say. But I think that that's just, like, the trajectory that we're on right now, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, like think about it like this, too. Like, um, cases, especially around here, have been going up. Um, like, I don't know too many people have gotten it. But I personally got it. That was a fucking horrible experience. I'll shut the fuck up. That was, <laughs> that was over a month ago, man. Again, you are more likely to get the virus from someone who's vaccinated than you are from me. Yeah, that's still that, 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 that's, that's a, fucking funny to me, honestly. That's not a credible science, by the way, so don't quote me on that. But I'm pretty sure that that's how antibodies work. I don't fucking know. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, like I just honestly think it's gonna be more of the same. I think it's gonna be, you know, still stupid fucking restrictions. Still having to wear a mask. Uh, Rutgers, <clears throat> I'm transferring to Rutgers in in the fall, and uh, they sent out like um some type of like video email or something i didn't get it but apparently everyone who's like a current student did get it that they want everyone back on campus in the fall so i'm hoping that that's the case i'm hoping that we can but i don't know like the way things are right now i honestly just don't see us having a change i kind of want like selfishly i want things to be handled by july because I have vacation time coming up in July. And, he's, and his birthday's in July. And my birthday's in July, and I want to do something instead of just sitting in my house on my ass beating my dick. Yeah, dude. So you it's want, like... You want to fucking move out of the country. Well, not move out of the country. You want to travel out of the country. Yeah, dude. Where? Where the fuck are you going to go besides Ireland? Uh, maybe Italy. Really? Italy of all places? The place is like fucking... Like, I think Italy's worse than we are. I would also... I would just want to travel to the United Kingdom, honestly, if I didn't want to go to Italy due to travel restrictions. I would just travel to the United Kingdom if I couldn't go to Ireland. You know, I would probably start off in, like, Wales, and then I'd make my way to Scotland, and then I'd make my way to England, and then I'd make my way over to Ireland. I'd want to finish off in Ireland, and I'd want people with me, because like, people that I know to come with me, because I don't want to get drunk in an Irish pub by myself. Well, that, and also... And I mean, that's, like, something to cross off my bucket list, to just get smashed in an Irish pub. Dude, and I was telling you, when you were first telling me about this, I was telling you, I'm like, uh, traveling to European countries, especially the age that we are, that's, like, the number one way to get fucking, like, kidnapped and murdered. Like, there, there's that movie, uh, Hostel. That's good. Oh, Hostel? I fucking love Hostel. It's not Hostel, it's Hostel. It's pronounced Hostel. Is it? Yes, it's pronounced Hostel. I don't know, fuck me, for <laughs> culture. Um... Yeah, and, and that scared the shit out of me because I'm just like, fuck, I was like, is this what it's like in other countries? Like, You know what's funny? It's actually one of my dad's favorite movies of all time. Is it really? Like, all, like all three of them? Oh, I, I don't think I saw the third one. I saw the first and the second. The third one kind of sucked, but... <laughs> as, mo- as most, like, trilogies do, like, the final one's just like, ah, oh, alright, it's enough. Yeah, like, the second, Hostel, was my favorite, but I loved both of them. I loved both of the first two. I will say, I will say that the first Hostel, I'm just saying how you say it now, um, they put me onto a band called Shorty. Great fucking band. Mm. Because, like, the intro song, um, it's Five Seconds by Shorty. And it's just, just fuck it. Like, and it's such a shame that, that Shorty never really came about anything because it, they were really good. It's like a fucking, like, underground punk band. Love them. It's like, I wouldn't, like, it made me, uh, not want to go to Prague. <laughs> like, I would say, stay away from Prague. Stay away from fucking, um, what is it? Romania? Amsterdam. Fuck, I wanted to go to Amsterdam, too. Dude, Amsterdam is, like, fucking... Like, that... 
There's like no laws there. Yeah, dude, I'd be floating. Everything fucking goes there. Dude, dude. I would go to the bar, get drunk, and smoke. Come on. Yeah, and then get fucking stabbed in the fucking back alley carrying garbage by Aaron Judge. Unless I mind my business. (laughs) Dude, you're an American. They fucking hate Americans over there. Well, they don't hate them, but like they're just like they know that they can. The perception of us isn't great. No, (laughs) well, because we know who we are. (laughs) Dude, you are an American blue-eyed ginger. Let's <laughs> come on. Cyril here. They're, you're the first one they're gonna take. Yeah, but the, yeah, but like, <laughs> but the, I don't think they realize that all Americans aren't the same, in the sense that there's um, uh, <clears throat> there's a plethora of different areas where people live. Not everybody who travels out of the country just happens to be preppy and white. You know, they happen to save up their money and do something that they've been wanting to do for a while. Maybe they come from low income. And they know how to hustle and they know how to finesse. But here's the thing, man. They, they know where certain areas are. They're, they're going to ask you where you're from. You're going to say Trenton. They're going to be like, where is that? You're going to say either near Princeton or it's in New Jersey. They're going to hear New Jersey or Princeton and think both Princeton and New York immediately think that you come for money and kidnap you for ransom. That's how it's going to go down. And they will... And they will Pedal you off like some blood diamond that they just got off the black market. At least I'm valuable. I guess. That's a way to put it. That's a way to look at it. I just... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I too hope things clear up. Don't get me wrong. I, I want them to... If, if I could fucking flip a switch, like snap my fingers like Thanos... Yeah, but it's like, it's like that's where it kind of... Where it's not even like a pessimistic view on it. It's a realistic view. In the sense that we know that... It's never gonna. Well, not never. It's it's not gonna be this. It's not gonna go back to normal, in like the span of. It should have gone back to normal because we could have handled it. We should have handled it better. But dude, I love how naive we were, like like the first like two weeks and like oh it's just gonna be a two week lockdown and two because I two weeks turns into a month, a month turns into a season, a season turns into oh it's almost been a year. And, like <laughs> the way that I looked at it, I looked at all the other outbreaks that were supposed to kill the world. You know, because... Like what? Like what? Swine flu, Ebola, SARS, uh, uh, Zika. Oh, dude. Remember when Zika paid a visit and no one even cared? Yeah, exactly. And I I thought it was going to be like that. I thought it was going to be one of these things that's like, all right, we'll freak out about it for like three weeks, and then we're just going to go back to normal. I mean, clearly I was wrong, but that's how I interpreted it at first because that's that's how it had gone in my life. Through that point. Yeah, I understand that. And that's the thing, I even had fucking swine flu when it came around. Did you? I did. I was out in Indiana when I got it. Oh, shit. Bro. How was was that? I was sick as a fucking dog, man. Like, imagine having the flu, but instead of getting, like, the chills, you're just hot. You're just hot, you're sweating. No, everything you eat or drink comes right back up or it goes right through. Oh, God. How old were you? Nine, ten years old. Dude, I remember terrible. I was on my way to uh, the hospital out there. Uh, my poor mother's friend had to pull over her car. I want to say six times. Oh. Because I was that sick in the car. I was oh, so no. out of it. I was so done, man. I thought I, I thought I was gonna die. That. Uh, I, mean, I, I didn't. So. Knock on wood. That doesn't happen again. Yeah. But, you know, I I don't wish swine flu on my worst enemy. Uh, having well for me having COVID it, it was weird because um, basically what happened was um, I remember I came home from work 
and like all throughout like that shift at work i have to like kept like clearing my throat and i just was like oh it's just a tickle like it's what was it fucking like december early december and these just my allergies start kicking up so then i'm like like clearing my throat constantly at work i'm like oh god like you know just whatever brush it off come home i literally eat my dinner go over to the corner to go play guitar I play Smells Like Teen Spirit, and I literally just feel myself, like, starting to sweat, and I get really hot. So I turn the fan on, of course. And then um, I'm just like, oh, um, it's just hot in here. I just had the heater on, whatever. And then I go to bed. Out of nowhere, I wake up, like, 2 in the morning. Like, my head hurts. I'm, like, really hot, really sweating. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what is this? So I was like, maybe I'll just sleep, try to sleep it off. Woke up, like, a couple hours later. Horrible fucking headache. Like... I, I've never had a hangover, but I imagine this is what a hangover headache would feel like. Mm-hmm. It was just so fucking bad. And I had a fever, like 103, and I was like, fucking hell. So I went and go got a rapid test, came back fucking positive. I, kn- I knew it was fucking positive. When the, per- when the person who, who gave me the swab, she came in in normal clothes at first. And then when she came in with my results, she was just decked out in like fucking like hazmat <laughs> shit. I was like, ah, fuck. Like, God damn it. <laughs> And then, like, she, like, like, just fucking, um, I don't want to say ignorantly, but just, like, insensitively walks me, like, escorts me, like, through the building so, like, I know where to go with all these people coming in and she's in a fucking hazmat suit. I'm like, they know that, that I'm the one. <laughs> they know that uh, that me passing them could possibly give it to them. So, that, that was my experience. And I, and I spent, what was it, like, ten days at Penn State University with my ex. And it was okay there, but... But after a while, like, you know, Captain Fever just kind of kicks in. And yeah, bro. I'm like, what, what, because I was with you before you even went to go get tested positive, mm. and you were starting to feel the head and this. Yeah. Because that, that was the day we went to go get the base. Yeah. And, and, you, and my you, head was fucking pounding. And, the whole you, time. and you were bitching about your head the whole time. And then I, I go home and I do my things. And then you text me, like, maybe a day or two later. Two days. Like, two days later that you had it. And then I have to, uh, I gotta leave work. I, I, I'll never forget my boss's reaction. You know, cause I went up to him and I said, hey, look, uh, I just got a text from one of my coworkers. I didn't want to say I was just like with you on the weekend. And I was like, I got a text from one of my coworkers for my, my other job. And they said, uh, that they said that they tested positive and I had worked with them a good portion of that week. And my boss just looked at me and he went, ah, shit. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And I was like, I, I want, I like, and I said, uh, what do you want? Like, I, I don't know what to do. And so he was like, all right, well, go home, get tested, and then we'll go from there, really. I still had to spend a week in isolation because they didn't know whether the uh, the symptoms were going to be... Uh, I didn't have symptoms, but yeah. and they tested negative, but I, had been, I, hadn't, I was with you for maybe, what, two hours? Actually, a little bit more. Like two and a half, three hours, probably? Probably three to four hours, because then we got food after that. Yeah, we went to Five Guys. And then uh, they were like, yeah, it was like kind of early, so just monitor how you're feeling, and then we can go from there. You should be good to go next week. And like, I was fine. Thankfully, the test was negative, but they still had me isolate just for safety precautions. Yeah. And I was going nuts. Right? Like, Dude, my parents were, like, in. my parents had to bring me my dinner to my door, and, like, <laughs> knock on my door and, like, drop it off to me. Carve a hole through the door, slide it through like you're in prison. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and then, like, I couldn't, I couldn't go, like, outside. I couldn't go downstairs to smoke. You know, it was, it was beat. I, I, I wouldn't, that's why I, like, I was taking it seriously to begin with, even though I thought it was, 
wasn't gonna be anything to worry about. But now it's just like I don't know when I don't want to deal with that again. Yeah, dude. Honestly, like my headache only lasts like a couple days, right? But I remember I had to I the day I got a test positive. Like you know, me and my ex were supposed to go down, uh, go up to Penn State, regardless, or not just be there for a couple days because I had a few days off from work. And oh, dude, I fucking made that three something hour drive head pounding, fucking sweating, and then I had, like, over 100 pounds of luggage with me because I knew that I was going to be there for a long time. Yeah. And I told her, I was like, let's just pack just in case we have to be there for a while. And um, the parking garage that we parked in was, like, a quarter mile from the fucking apartment building, so I had to lug 100 pounds of luggage. I was like, oh, my... And by the time See, I... See, at, at that point, what I would have done was is that I would have driven to the apartment. That's... A, but, like, we couldn't do that because what I was going to do is leave my bags there and then hope no one takes them. No, you just fucking... She she drives, doesn't she? She does. Just have her park the car. Why? <laughs> Take the fucking bags inside and then go park the car. No. I mean, like... I, we didn't think it through. We both fucking had it. Look, okay? hi, look hindsight's twenty twenty, but, you know... Yeah, fuck 2020. <laughs> Horrible fucking year, man. It's um, over with. Yeah, it's over with. I'm still feeling the fucking effects of it. Um, we're gonna be feeling the effects for a while. Yeah, but the worst part, other than the headache, was the fact that I couldn't taste anything. That is how I. That was like the telltale. I was like, oh fuck, I got this thing full blown, don't I? Yeah. Dude, I brought I brought proper twelve with us, mm-hmm. and I remember like one night we were just doing like we were like, oh let's just fuck, let's just do shots. I fucking took a shot. I didn't taste it, but I just felt it go down. And I was like, oh that ain't good. <laughs> that ain't good. That's not good at all. No. And you know what broke my heart? I found out that I couldn't taste anything when I opened up a can of Arizona. Aww. I was very sad. Yeah, that's pretty unfortunate. And I was so hyped to just like, be like, oh, I can't wait to have my can of uh, iced tea. And then, nope, nope. Fuck your taste buds. Just, just water. Yeah. That's exactly what it tasted like. Couldn't, couldn't taste anything. Couldn't smell anything. That was scary. Yeah, that's probably... Like, see, I, uh, yeah, I have allergies, so it's like my nose gets stuffed up, but that's like the only thing that comes close to me not being able to smell anything. So I can only imagine actually having the ability to go and still not being able to smell anything. Yeah. And I couldn't, I, I, I refused to vape. I brought my vape with me, but I refused to. That's probably smart. Because I was just like, ah, I don't want to fucking. Because I was like, what? We're in the middle. We're in on Penn State campus, and like, there's no one here. God for fucking bid. Like, I get worse, and I fucking need like a respirator or some shit. Fucking die. Last thing I want. You alright? Yeah, my fucking Snapchat keeps logging me out. <clears throat> oh, Snapchat. I don't even use that shit anymore. I'm just waiting to hear back from some people. Oh, yeah. Okay. Alright, <clears throat> moving on. So, still COVID related. So now, like, we just talked about the vaccine, right? Yeah. Um, Johnson & Johnson, there's like four different vaccines that like four different companies have made. Johnson & Johnson one just came out and said that their vaccine is only 66% effective. Like, really? Is that the best you can do? Um, well, Pfizer has one. Moderna has one. I think there's, like, one other or two other ones. Yeah. So now, I don't know about you. I've seen some, granted it's an- anecdotal evidence, mm-hmm. I've seen some really disturbing videos and heard some really disturbing stories about, like, side effects yeah. from, the, from the vaccine. I remember I saw somebody do a presser after getting the vaccine and they just passed out on the podium yeah but they but then they tried to say that it's like oh yeah i frequently pass out and i was like oh, but, like, all it's right. convenient fucking time it's, it's a really bad time 
Granted, yeah, like, I can understand maybe if like that's a problem of hers. And, like, and, and you can't obviously you can't control that, but Jesus Christ, that timing! <laughs> right on live TV after you just had the needle in your arm. Um, like seriously, it's like you just did heroin. Yeah, but um, I saw a video of it, it was a video and it was like um like an actual like worded post and it was this woman whose like tongue was like spasming. Yeah, she took, she got the Moderna vaccine. And it was like pulsated, like it had a fucking heart of its own. Oh god! So then she wrote out. She was just like, "So I just got the vaccine a couple days ago, and like my tongue's been having spasms. I've been having like really weird like um, conditions, like like I'm breaking out in hives and rashes, and uh, she had like a fever, had horrible muscle aches, this that whatever." And uh, she apparently went over to like so many different like hospitals, like emergency rooms, and they were just like, "We don't know what's wrong with you." Like. Like, like, clearly there's something wrong with it, but we don't know what it is. So to me, I was just like, oh, fucking hell. And then, of course, I didn't make it any better by fucking watching I Am Legend that same night. <laughs> after, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. The um, the cure for cancer is what did this to these people. It doesn't help that it took place in 2021 either. Did it? Yeah, it did. I Am Legend takes place in 2021. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, so that, that begs the question of, like, given... The fact that, Grant, like I said, anecdotal evidence, the empirical evidence more or less says that the vaccine, like all vaccines, gives you side effects. Um, like, are you, you, are you willing to take the vaccine? I'm only willing to take it if it's a requirement to go to work. Really? Honestly, yeah. Just because, you know, it's not that I'm not taking it seriously, you know, but it's like, I haven't, like, it, it's going to be treated like the annual flu shot anyway at this point. Like, not everybody gets their flu shot when they shouldn't. They still don't end up getting the flu. It's 2012 is when it takes that. Shut the fuck up, dude. But, um, <laughs> but it's like, uh, it's like everybody's supposed to get their flu shot, but they don't get the flu shot, and they still don't end up getting the flu. But, but yeah. like, granted, it's a little bit more severe than the flu. However, uh, I would, I would only do it whether it's like, whether it's 100% clarified that. I'm not going to die from it, or I'm not going to have super side effects. I already know there's going to be side effects, but not like super dumb side effects. Yeah. And the only way I would do it is if it's like, if I just wanted to get it, which is for the health of my grandparents. Yeah. You know, because I live with them and it's just like, just to, like, I know I could fight it off. They can't. Right. You know, and that's like, selfishly speaking, I don't want to, I'm probably not going to get it. You know, I would only get it if it became required. Yeah. To, to like go places or do things. Yeah. For me, I don't know. Like, I'm not anti-vax by any means. Like, you, like you, you see me get pissed off at people who like talk about like, oh, I don't, I don't vaccine. Vaccines cause autism. Like that. that You're should... autistic if you think that fucking vaccines cause autism. Exactly. But like, my whole thing is just—it's it, just the sheer fact. Granted, yes, obviously we have better like medical science nowadays. That like, yeah, I'm sure vaccines could easily be produced at like an extremely fast rate. Yeah. But. My main concern really stems from the fact that it's like, this is the fa- the fastest vaccine to ever come out, or this vaccine came out the fastest in history, compared to all of the vaccines. Um, we don't know what the side effects are. We don't know the efficacy. And, like, it's just the fact that, like, you know, like, you always think that's not going to happen to you. But, like, what happens if, like, you get the vaccine, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the same thing happens with... The, the lady having tongue spasms. You know, like, that's that's the shit that I want to avoid. And I'm not telling anyone to not get the vaccine. I'm not telling anyone to get the vaccine. Like, obviously do what you feel most comfortable with. But 
for me personally, I'm just like, I want to see more studies done. I want to see more evidence come out that, like, yes, this is, like, you know, like, I, I think there are some people who, like, are, like, susceptible to, like, having, like, really bad side effects from, like, any given vaccine they can yeah. die from it. So, obviously, no vaccine is, like, 100% foolproof. But, like, if, like, it's just, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's going to be the same side effect as the flu shot and, like, whatever, then that's fine. I'll, I'll do it. But, like, I just want to give it more time. I'm not saying that people are going to turn cannibalistic zombies like fucking I am legends. But that's just, that's where I stand on it. I'm like, I, I want to give it time before I make any decision about it. Because I know people are flooding to get the vaccine. But Yeah, and that's the problem. People are flooding to get it because they want to be the people like, I don't want to get it. I don't want to get it. I don't want to get it. It's not guaranteed. Because mm-hmm. you can still get the flu if you get the fucking flu shots. 40 to 60% on average. That's well, gonna work. Well, that's the flu shot. That's because there's so many different variants. And granted, yeah, there's like three different variants now of COVID. Yeah. But like I said, like you know, certain companies, the I don't, you know what I don't understand? Why don't all these fucking companies, rather than trying to fucking compete with each other for this, why don't they all just get together and make them 100% effective act? I understand the money. Because they don't I, care. Because they don't care about us. They care about the dollar. Which is funny because the vaccine is being given out. Uh, as long as your as long as your insurance covers vaccinations, you're you don't have to pay for it. I didn't have to pay for my COVID test. I didn't either. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just like, why would you even release a vaccine if it's only sixty six percent effective? Why don't you figure out the efficacy rate first and then release it? Maybe combine all the vaccines and make one super vaccine. Maybe that'll work. Yeah, that's that's how you fucking get. I am Legend Zombies, dude. <laughs> um, Maybe that's why they're not doing it. They watch the movie. Probably. Probably. All right. Imagine your medical advice from a fucking zombie movie. <laughs> it's the only zombie movie I fuck with, honestly. Um, I fuck with The Walking Dead, but that's a TV show. I don't fuck with The Walking Dead at all. I like the first couple seasons. So those were good. No, but like, I Am Legend is like the only zombie thing I fucks with, yeah. like genuinely. Fair enough. All right. Um. So, um, over the pandemic, I was like people. What was it? People fucking learned how to make their own bread or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you and I both pretty much learn new skills, right? Yeah, essentially. Um, so, why don't you tell us what you've been doing So as I, of a month ago? So, I was a little late to uh, getting myself acclimated to the home life. I mean, granted, I, was wor- I work in the afternoon, so it's not like I was home 24-7. I still had my job, despite the COVID regulations. But Wait, wait UPS is still operating, right? Yeah. So I wasn't completely home 24-7, so I never felt the need to learn how to do anything aside from learn how to be better at video games and just like like do a couple push-ups before I go to work or something. Right. But uh, recently I have acquired a bass guitar, and it is probably the most fun I've had learning something in a very long time. Because it's like, me and learning don't really go hand in hand. <laughs> I wasn't the best student when I was in school. So the idea that I'm actually having fun learning something again, it's actually, it's intriguing. And uh, like I'm, sl- I'm slowly but surely getting to a point that I like. I'm still ass, but I'm getting there. <laughs> um, and, and who did you get the inspiration to get the fucking bass from, huh? <laughs> uh, well, to be honest, it had been in the back of my head for a while, but seeing you uh, like learn how to play guitar and everything, it was kind of like, oh, I mean, that's kind of cool. Like, I mean, I kind of wanted to, I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. And, like, he did, and then you brought up the idea of jam sessions and getting a band together, and I was like, okay, bet, let me learn how to do this. Yeah. Um, so I, I also, 
I mean, I've had a guitar like that, that black and white one over there. That I've had that since I was in fourth grade, third grade maybe. Mm. So that's old as shit. It's a fucking relic. Yeah. I don't even touch it anymore. But I just kind of had it just to say, oh, yeah, I got three guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, no, I've had, I, I had like intermediate sessions, like um, like trying to like, learn when I was younger, but never really came to much and didn't really learn much at the time. Didn't even really care for it to be honest with you. Yeah. So then like. You know, just over time, like, uh, as the pandemic went on, I, I realized, I was like, well, like, yeah, I had that black and white one, then I also had the all black one over there, um, and I had that since, like, 2017, I don't even know why I bought it at the time, I really wasn't playing, yeah. but I think I just bought it, I was like, fuck it, why not, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, well, I got this guitar sitting in my closet, I'm like, you know what, I got nothing else to do, let's fucking give it a crack, so I was playing that without a, without a fucking amplifier for a while, and... Then one day I kind of like broke down. I was like, "Fuck it, let's just go buy an amplifier and see how this thing goes." And ever since then, dude, it's just been like, as soon as you hear like a power chord through distortion, oh my god, it's it's fucking orgasmic, it's awesome. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I don't have a I don't have an amp for the bass just yet, so I'm still working out the kinks with that. I gotta find the right one, you know, because I don't want to go ahead and buy a guitar amp for a fucking bass. That'll just fuck everything up. Yeah. So and whenever I find. The, but whenever I find the amp, I know I'm going to have the money, but whenever I find the amp, I'm going to get it and I'm just going to fucking jam. Because <laughs> it's like, I'm already, I'm still getting like my chords and my finger placement down properly. Mm. So that's like the hard part uh, because like I can play smells like Teen Spirit at this point, mm. but you know, it's, uh, it's like sometimes my fingers don't want to cooperate and they don't go exactly where they want to go, exactly where they're supposed to go, I should say. Yeah, well, and, like it's just g- getting myself accustomed to that is the challenge. Yeah, and like something like that takes time because I mean, like for the life of me, I couldn't hit a power chord for the first couple of weeks, and then I just kind of like they say it takes like twenty one days of like doing something to like make it a habit, and I would literally just come home from work and play the guitar. That's all I did, and um, it took me a while, but got used to it. And after like you finally like figure out like pretty much the basics of everything, like you can do whatever with it, really. Um, I learned so I, it took me forever to fucking learn Cheap Year by Fiddler yeah and then out of nowhere like, I learned Jesus of Suburbia in a, in a morning like a nine minute song in one morning yeah and that's not to you know brag or anything but that's just like you know like it just goes to show that like if you can like develop a new skill like you can like figure out like teach yourself a new skill like you're better off teaching yourself than having someone teach you you know yeah. what I mean because like o- only you know how you learn everyone learns differently absolutely but yeah, no, it's been so fucking fun playing guitar, man. I, I love it. Um, great time killer. Um, but I think it's important, just like in general, for people to learn skills, especially like when you have so much fucking time on your hands. Yeah, it's like, and that's and that's the thing with the pandemic. Everybody pretty much tried to pick something up. Yeah, and not a lot of people stuck with it, but the people that did are clearly showing their progress. Uh, you know, and like I'm, I'm not like, it's like I'm not trying to have like, like, like I said, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or pat myself on the back. It's like I'm getting pretty good with it. Yeah, you know, it's like like I take breaks every like I have like days where I don't play, but that's just because I'm working and I'm tired. Yeah, you know, like and sometimes you just don't. It's like, it's not that I'm not motivated to do it. I want to learn how to get better, and like I feel like an asshole when I don't play. <laughs> but it's just like sometimes you just can't get out of bed, or sometimes you just can't fathom the idea of just doing anything aside from relaxing. Yeah, I mean, shit, dude. I haven't touched my guitars probably since like Sunday. Yeah. Maybe Sunday, if not Saturday. What's today? Friday? Yeah, it's yeah. almost in a week. Holy fuck. 
<laughs> I gotta get back. Well, we're gonna have a jam sesh after this anyway, so yeah, it doesn't right. matter. Um, but you know, I just think that like learning new skills and like doctors say that it's like that's like one of the better ways to like prevent like Alzheimer's and like dementia is that like, you need to like learn new stuff. You can't just be in the same routine over and over and over again. Yeah. So I just think that it's important. Like sure, like yeah, fucking with guitar right now, but. I, you know, in a couple months, I need to learn something else. You know, I need to learn. I mean, I'm probably figure out how to skateboard. <laughs> that was another <laughs> thing I learned over the fucking pandemic. It's like maybe I'll learn how to maybe I'll learn how to play guitar too. You know, maybe <clears throat> maybe I'll get on a board. Maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll bake a fucking cake. Maybe, <clears throat> you know, maybe maybe I'll write a book. I don't know. Uh, shit, I was working on a book when I was in quarantine, <laughs> and then I just didn't touch it again. Like, I I need to. I was actually. Pretty, pretty far along in that book which is a shame but whatever um so you know and another thing too that's really been like bugging me about having been like a lockdown is the fact that I can't go to campus like I can't go to like my college and this is like my last semester at Brookdale and kind of bums me out that like I'm finishing it at home like from my desk as opposed to like in classrooms and I don't know about you but, like obviously you you, when you were in high school, I'm sure if they had an online option, you probably would have taken it, right? Eh, honestly, I don't know. You really? Yeah. It's like, as as lazy as I was, I loved the interaction that I got with my friends and even the people who, like, I don't talk to anymore now that I went to high school with, but we were still cool when we were in high school. That interaction was something that I'll always remember. And, like, when I went on my senior field trip, like, not all my friends went on the trip. Really? Yeah, like, out of the main friend group that I had in high school, two of the people in that friend group went. Let me guess, it was Johnny and Zach. It wasn't, actually. Really? It was Jose and Dominic. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. John didn't go, and uh, to my knowledge, Mo, Zach, and Jake all had their own little field trip. Hmm. I'm not going to details. (laughs) But, uh... But that experience, honestly, like, even though I didn't have my, like, my immediate friend group with me, like, I actually, like, expanded my horizons a little bit. Like, I actually ended up talking to people who I never expected to talk to. Yeah. I ended up making friends with people I didn't expect to make friends with. Hey, where'd you go on the field trip? Uh, went up to this fucking hotel in the Catskill Mountains. Oh, you, so you stayed there for a while? Went only for, like, it was a weekend trip, you know. We oh, went, that's so... Yeah, we went up there on, like, a Friday... Came back on Sunday. Sunday or Monday, one of the two, and I just didn't go to school the next day because I was tired. But it's fair. Either way, it was fun. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't regret going on the trip. I, I regret not going to my prom, but I don't regret going to the trip. Huh. That that was one reason I actually went to my senior prom without a date is because I, I at least wanted to say I went. Yeah. But I mean, you know, no, like, so you you know the story of. of my academic career mm-hmm. about how like I pretty much flunked out of Mercer and this is only because I just didn't show up to classes and I was in a really toxic relationship at the time and you know just completely deprived me of all my priorities which is a shame but I guess you know everything happens for a reason and sometimes good comes out of dark so you know I, I started Brookdale summer or September 2019 and I, I made it a point to myself that I was going to take as many credits as physically possible in order to get out of here as fast as possible. And what, like a year and a half later, here I am about to graduate from it. So I guess kudos to me. Word. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's been, I would say that Brookdale is probably one of, if not the best thing to happen to me in the last, last two, three years. Um, it, it really gave me a second start at life, which is, which I'm eternally grateful for um 
all the professors were incredible. Um, all the students were really cool. Um, the fact that it, like they offer so many fucking programs there, like Mercer of all places doesn't offer political science as a program, which mm-hmm. which is the reason I didn't go back to Mercer. Not only because my GPA was shit and it would take me forever to bring that back up, yeah. but because of the fact that uh, you know it just didn't have my program. So Brookdale is obviously my next best choice, and turns out it was the best choice. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, and shit, I got awards on my fucking wall right now from Brookdale. I have, um, I don't think I have any, like, academic recognitions other than those that are framed, mm-hmm. but I mean, like, I made Dean's List, like, fuck, dude, you know, like, I, Brookdale, easily the best decision I've made in the past couple of years, and again, like, you know, it got me into Rutgers, so I can't say anything bad about it, other, other than the fact that it just sucks that we're not on campus, but it's not even at Brookdale, that's just at, you know, the situation that we're yeah, in. Yeah, it's just everywhere. Yeah. So, you know. It's even like TCNJ, they're going to have like a thousand kids back on the campus. Is that what the capacity is going to be? Yeah, that's what they're saying. Like a thousand kids are going to be on campus and they've got people sharing dorms again. Like apartment style dorm rooms. So I don't know how that's going to go. Oh, that's going to be a fucking disaster. They have like a set COVID area where if you test positive, you go there and you isolate. Uh, you just go uh, back to normal. They have a segregation center, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's like, go quarantine. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. Guys come in hazmat suits. You got the fucking thing bubbled up like SpongeBob. Yeah, it's like fucking quarantine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's like twenty three nineteen for Monsters Inc. Yeah, it's like they get the sock. Two three nineteen. It's like they get the sock <laughs> on the back or anything. It's getting back to the point to where you say you can't drink at that water fountain. Yeah, it's not gonna be good. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Guess it's the best way. But I mean, can I even shit on TCNJ for that? No, because Rutgers wants people back on campus in in the fall, and I want to be on campus in the fall. Yeah, I want to get that that experience. Not moving there, but you know, commuting. But yeah. still, I want the in-person classes. I want. I want to see the. You know, I want. I want that classroom experience. I prefer. Yeah, exactly. So you, you mentioned a bunch of the guys. <laughs> you mentioned Jose. You mentioned Zach. Uh, I don't think Johnny's ever come out drinking with us. No, not 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 yet. He will. He. I'll get him out. He better come out. He will. I'll get him. <laughs> um. What? Jose, Zach, Monib. Um. I think Jake. Jake was there once. Um, I don't even really know him. Um, though, Kayla but... was there a couple times. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think I think that was pretty much the bulk of it. Yeah, that was probably it. I think unless we had some a, a bunch of uh, my, my one coworker who likes to chill there. Every oh now and yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Jay, the homie. Yeah, the the one that um you were just bumming cigarettes off of. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, what is your favorite? I know we've only gone to Bills a few times. Bills is the go-to spot for mm-hmm. us. So, what, what would you say your favorite memory from Bills is? Uh, honestly, uh, when we went to go watch the Sox Yankee game. Just because we got fucking flat out shit faced and your mom had to come get us. Oh my god, that was a hell of a night. We got. <laughs> we weren't like straight up blackout, sloppy, drunk bullshit, but. <laughs> but you know, Dude, it was just. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I think. Wait, is that your absolute favorite memory? Well, I wasn't there for when Jose got cut off, so. No, but you were there for the time that my mom. Actually. What was the time? I think my mom. Wait, wasn't that the day that? Oh fuck! There's so, I blacked out of Bill so many times. <laughs> what was the day that Michaela was there? So that means Zach was there. Oh, I, I, I left early. It was when he went to go get Wendy's or something. No, that was a different night. Oh. Um, I remember that night. <laughs> um, kind of. 
I just remember it from the evidence I left behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there was the night that I went out to vape, right? Yeah. And, oh, like, I, I was already, like, however many in, and then you texted me, like, you got a shot coming your way. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I think that was Jose's birthday. Yeah, that was. That was the last time we were all out. Yeah, yeah, it was Jose's birthday, and I was like, yeah, you got a shot coming your way, homie. And then that's when we left. Dude, that was so bad. Yeah, and then you took your shot, and then you and I, I think, dipped afterwards. No, I went home with Zach and Michaela that night, actually. Yeah, yeah, because my mom picked me up, that's right. Yeah, I went home with Michaela, Zach, and Jose. Oh my god, that was fucking fun. Dude, every single time. Yeah, I was like, where you at? And he's like, yeah, well, you got a shot coming your way, buddy. I still had that message. You were just like, you got a shot coming your way. And I was like, oh, word. And I sent like my little like skull emoji because of how funny it was. Yeah, I fucking, uh, and then I, you're I like, got. You like, lemon drop shot. I'm like, oh, fuck. I, I ended up ordering Jose a separate shot just because I knew I wanted to get him, I wanted to get him fucked up, fucked up. Because he got the lemon drop shot. And I was like, yeah, just get him, uh, just get him two things of Tito's while you're at it. <laughs> um, Excuse me. That, that was a fun fucking night. But here's the thing. My favorite bar memory kind of coincides with that story. Both of them, both of my favorite memories end in a lemon drop shot. Yeah. They literally, like, the moment of, like, conscientiousness ends as soon as I lick the lemon. That's, yeah. that's, that's where it ends for me, because that's what happened that night. And then the night that you left early, here's ultimately what happened. So, it's such a shame that you weren't there for this. I wish left. I was. So, <clears throat> Ryan left. It was me, Zach, Michaela, and Jose. And we were all, um, they kind of, like, shuffled us inside because this is when they had to, like, uh, stop um, outside stuff at 10 o'clock. I don't know why. Well, granted, it was freezing too, so it was, it was cold at night. So, <laughs> um, they pl- the bar was full, so they had to place us at a table. And at the table, Jose just has um, tequila and lime. I'm going hard on my Jameson and ginger ales. And Jose just starts cackling like Mr. Krabs. <laughs> and that was arguably like one of the funnier moments of of that night but i think the fun the peak moment was when we they actually we actually were able to move to the bar because a few seats cleared out so we're all sitting at the bar together and then the security guards kind of like going back and forth like checking on everyone seeing how everyone's doing and he i think he just heard jose cackling like mr Krabs. (laughs) (laughs) so we we're about to order another rounds, and then the bartender looks at Jose and and all of us, and he's like, "No, like he's he's cut off." The security guard cut him off, and then Jose's like not even mad; he's just laughing. He's like, "What? What did I even do?" <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as he does that, there's a glass of water right by his hand, and he like goes down to like kind of like hide his head, I guess, like in like like faux shame and he smacks the fucking glass of water down security guard comes up from behind him pats him on the back goes that's why you've been cut off <laughs> and once again that's the thing I know Jose wasn't gonna start shit even if he was cut off like no, legit but like no. that's just fucking that, that was just very objectively funny and it's... It's and, poetic in a sense, and, and that and once again, that was the second and last night that my night ended in a lemon drop shot, and the the reason that I I only found out that we went to Wendy's right after. Um, Zach is the one, who, actually, Michaela's the one who drove. Um, I only found out that we went to Wendy's because I woke up the next morning um, with an unopened uh, burger wrapped, still wrapped up. That's a pub. No, just Damn. just I didn't have the the wherewithal, I guess, at the time. 
Um, and it was just sitting on my fucking nightstand. I'm like, oh, that's where we went last night. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, sweet, I got lunch. I, I didn't even eat that. Damn. I was just like, oh, I love it. It was cold. What am I going to do? Fucking microwave. No, it's gross. Oh, so, uh, so what would you say your favorite whiskey? I know you're a big Proper 12 guy, but... And, and don't get me wrong, you put me on a Proper 12 too. However, mm-hmm. however... That Black Barrel is growing on me, though. Jameson Black Barrel. I would have to argue it's probably my favorite. Yeah, it, that, that's low-key growing on me, but I'm still like the Proper 12 kid. I want to try... I saw this whiskey that... Uh, this is making me want to drink. <laughs> that one of my old, um, uh, an old football player from the Raiders, Charles Woodson... He has a line of alcohol, and he dropped a whiskey called Woodson's Whiskey. Mm-hmm. And I've heard nothing but good things. And just being a Raiders fan and being a football fan, I'm obligated to try it. <laughs> and whenever I get the chance, I'm, I hope that becomes my next new favorite. But mm-hmm. right now, it's just a mix of like that Black Barrel, because that was just smooth and it smelled good. The taste was there. It fucking, like... It, it, it was smoother than 12, I'll give it that. It is. But well, 12 I, is smoother than regular Jameson. Yeah, and like, but I just, like, Proper 12 is the first thing I ever got, like, completely fucking, uh, like, fucking blackout on. So, I guess that's my favorite due to sentimental values. But, like, <laughs> just, like, overall, I think the Black Barrel's growing on me, and it'll probably take that spot. Yeah. It's like, I'm not, like, I haven't really gone into other whiskeys outside of, like, fucking Jameson or like Proper 12 even there's probably a couple other that I've drank that I can't really remember at the moment mm-hmm. but you know it's just it's one of them things that like I'll eventually try it and then it'll eventually be my favorite for like a week and then I'll get another one going dude you have no idea how tempted I am right now to just go downstairs and get like the stuff to make drinks eh. shit shit we got time I'll say if, we, if you want to just bullshit into the microphone for like a minute or two, I'll go get the stuff. Oh, but let me see what else is on the ledger then. No, just, just answer like one of the questions from when you're in. Oh, yeah. So what ended up happening was a couple days ago, Chin and I did a some polls on Instagram. We answered them on our stories, but they only give like I do video responses, and they only give me like uh, ten seconds to do my responses. So. I'm going to pull up some of the questions that I got. I screenshotted them off of mine, so see what we got here. Somebody asked me if I could fix one world problem, what would it be? Uh, and the way that I answered that was I don't. I would change everybody's closed-mindedness, you know, because everybody has their own way of thinking, and that's fine. But it's not, it's not even that they're not, it's not that they're thinking wrong, it's just that they're letting people think for them. You know, like, people who don't have the wherewithal to make their own opinions and just go off a of popular opinion are one of the main reasons why we're in the spot that we're in now. You know, and, that, and if you do actually believe in the popular opinion, that's great. But there are ways that you can make it better instead of settling for exactly what's going on right now there are more than enough ways to get it right and it's just not right right now because nobody's stepping up we're just going through we're just going through life with popular opinion instead of questioning said opinions and making and making our own actual opinions out of it and having our own set thoughts we're all so close-minded and we see how things are going in this world because of the closed-mindedness that we have. It's just, it's just not fun. It's not right. It's not how we're supposed to do things. 
I the op the close mindedness, the ignorance to new discussion, the nerve of just blowing off everything that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what you believe in, instead of taking it in and then maybe giving an assessment afterwards or just taking it and being like, Okay, I see what you're saying. They just go off and think it's just like some sort of fucking tirade about it's everything that they don't believe in and everything that they stand against. And that's what I just don't like. The one problem that I would end up fixing would definitely be everybody's ignorance to other opinions and the closed-mindedness of this world. Thank you, my friend. Yep, Chin has arrived with the, bat, with the box of booze. And now, I guess, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, somebody asked me on my poll the one day, they asked me on my poll, if you could change one world problem, what would it be? Like social problems? Just like problems. Like just, just problem, I guess, because mine, uh, mine was uh, just everybody's overall ignorance to new topics and everybody's flat out just way of going with the popular opinion. I would change the. Should I give myself more than I gave you? Yeah, that's fine. We got the black bro. Yeah. I would honestly, the biggest thing that I would change would probably be um, everyone's take. On, I don't, I don't know how to word this. Realistically, I would probably just change how people interpret how their life should be. Mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. Like some people, a lot of people compare their lives to other people. They use other people's lives as like a prompt or as a sample. I guess. Yeah. Uh, as to how they should live their life. That's essentially what I was saying, too. Like, just like everybody goes with what's popular instead of using their yeah. own mind. And it's a shame, too, because that's how individuality dies. And that's how creativity and innovation die because everyone's just trying to do the same exact thing. Like, I can talk all the shit I want because I go to college, but, like, not everyone has to go to college. Not everyone should go to college because college really just isn't for everybody. And then yeah, exactly. people leave college in massive amounts of debt with pointless degrees for something they don't even want to do. Mm-hmm. So that that's just one thing I would change. Um, it's countless others that we could probably ponder on, but we have a segment to do. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> oh, we get into that. Cheers! Cheers! Oh, we can clink if you want. <laughs> Collective. That was way too in sync. Collective. Uh, that's dangerous. Uh, I didn't even fucking. I didn't even taste the Jameson in that. That was dangerous. Yeah, there's hardly any in there. And there's enough. Anyway. Um, so, uh, before we get into anything, and this this goes for this show, this goes for future shows. Um, for, for those who know me, and have known me for a while, they they knew, they knew for, for the fact that I was, I was like a diehard, like, liberal, you mm. know? Like, you, you can attest to that. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, I can attest to that. And, and it's not something that, like, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit or anything like that. It's not something I'm just like, oh, I can't believe this. I'm like, no, like, I completely get it. Because, I mean, you know, most young people are liberal. Most young people, like, want, like, what they perceive to be positive change in the world because of people telling them that it's positive change. But over the course of time, um, and on the last podcast, we got into several arguably heated debates about certain social topics and um, when we brought on Antonio and you know his view opposed mine and I'm sure many of them still do because 
no offense to Antonio, I don't necessarily... It's not that I don't think that he's a conservative. It's just I, I think that along with many other so-called conservatives of our age, I think a lot of them got introduced to the political system because of Trump. Yeah. And I think that because Antonio liked Trump, um, nothing against people who like him, um, but if your conservative values and views come because of Trump or in a Trumpian uh, culture, I, I think it's hard to make the case that you're a real conservative because Trump himself is not a real conservative. Um, but anyway, it's besides the point. So, Ryan, I, I kind of like filled him in as like things changed. And for a while... I want to say like like after our last episode, maybe like a couple of months after our last last episode, um, I had like a really weird change of heart, and I thought came to the conclusion that like uh, certain policies, both social, economic, international, etc., uh, policies of the Democratic Party and the liberal side of the political spectrum just did not fit my views. And really, what would spark this was the fact that I. Um, I, I usually like to read like the nonfiction, like political science and political philosophy books, yeah. and um, mo- most of the time I was just reading books by liberal authors, and that's why I was kind of like living in an echo chamber of shit. So everything I was reading was just like revalidating like what I already thought to be true. So, have you ever taken that political compass test thingy? I have, and like like recently after, yep. and yep. Uh, it wasn't exactly what I think it's gonna be. Yep. Yeah, I figured. Yep. Um. So, <clears throat> I, I read this book called The Conservative Sensibility by George F. Will. It's a fantastic book. Um, it, it really goes into detail about like true principled conservatism, and it goes really into depth about you know uh, American principles and values, et cetera, et cetera, like conservative values in society and economic policy. Not, not to bore you with the details, but I read this book initially thinking that I was really just going to get, you know, I was gonna read it and dissect it and point out all kinds of stuff that I disagree with because for some reason I'm cynical, or at least I was. Like, and, and I shit you not, I was literally just telling you in the car that that book completely like reversed everything that I thought to be true. Yeah. And and that's not to say that it's just the one book because after that book I was like, well maybe that's just a fluke. Maybe like you know other people have different views. And it turns out the more I read conservative thought, and the more I contrasted that with my original thought, is was when I realized I was like, well, personally speaking, I'm not saying everyone has to do this, but personally speaking, I was just like, I really don't have any of those liberal values. I am more socially and economically conservative, and that's ultimately what led to my transition in between. You know, I went from, you know, like arguably radical progressive democrat to uh conservative uh social conservative and economic liberal um independent to complete social and economic uh conservative so i mean since then you know came over to the republican party and i'm not gonna lie like it's been a relief because i'm not as angry as i used to be no seriously like you've calmed down so fucking much because the thing is, is I just realized I was like a lot of the problems that you know the these uh, political viewpoints they, they ultimately just the the they find stuff to be mad about and they become as angry as they can possibly get. 
and that's not a good way to live. And you know, it's just statistically shown that as people get older, they become more conservative, and you know, age breeds more conservatives, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, it's I'm happy I came to uh, I guess like the awakening in a sense um, as early as I did, and it didn't really take much. All it took was just some, you know, me popping the the thought bubble or not the thought bubble, but me getting through the echo chamber and finally seeing things from a different point of view and turns out the different point of view to me at least seems 100% right. Yeah, and it's like, and I'm glad that you took, not that took the step to leave the left side completely and switch over, but I'm glad you took it as a sense of you're not just, like, you're not lambasting anybody just for being on the left side of the political spectrum. You know, you're actually, like, because... You, you, you do respect it. Like, even if you don't, like, agree with most of the shit that they say, you respect anybody who's on either side of the political party, which is better than what most people do whenever they leave a certain party or a certain religion or a certain, like, uh, oh, fucking team. You know, they just end up hating well, the other side or whatever the hell else happens to be. I mean, like, you were raised atheist, but I mean, like, I know for a fact that... I was raised atheist, but I was actually... I did go to communion. Well, yeah. and, and I did have I did have my Holy Communion. I did all that shit. I never got confirmed, thankfully. I was baptized Catholic, you know. And I did have, and it's funny. Uh, now I look at things outside of it. It's like at a Catholic school when I would go into my science classes, which is kind of ironic having a science class <laughs> in a Catholic school. Thinking about it, but uh, um, you know, it's one of those. Uh, it just ends up being a thing of. Uh, this makes more sense than the other, and this one is making me feel a bit more safer. Because as much, I'll never disparage anybody for having religious beliefs. Right. I'll never make fun. I'll make fun of them, but like I'll never like brutally. I'll never do it as like a serious thing. You'll never do it to demean someone's character. Yeah, yeah it's like if anything, I'm just fucking around. I'm being a dick. But <laughs> in that same line, it's like there are certain people who will either be like born again Christians and they're just like if you're not this you're just gonna go straight to hell and you're gonna do this and you're gonna burn for all of eternity or it's like in, in your case like let's say somebody goes from right to left how can you believe any of that stuff it's all just racist propaganda or and even then like how can you believe any of that stuff it's all just pandering to the common people to the minorities and the poor class you know it's just it's a lot of bullshit and, you know, my whole thing with it is just the sheer fact that rather than – because one of my big things too is just like I, I like to think individually and I like to kind of like back away from like crowd madness and just think like, okay, like, like what makes the most sense here? Like I understand what people are saying and like I understand why they're saying it, but is this the best way to go? And a lot – for a lot, it, it was probably one of like – it was such a weird like identity crisis for me because I was just like, I was just like, Jesus Christ, am I really becoming like a fucking like Republican conservative? And then rather than like shutting away that feeling, I was just like, yeah, I am. Like that's just how it is. Like I, I um, you know, like these are these are the beliefs that I hold. These are the values that I hold, and this is the party and the belief system and the political philosophy that most aligns with those thoughts and beliefs. And the more I, and the more I embraced it, the more I was just like, I was really naive. I can admit that. I was probably one of the most naive people who were who was active in politics, and excuse me, um, I, I'm not sure like you know what your Twitter or Instagram looks like, but even after 
everyone became super politically active or at least socially active over the summer for obvious reasons um i would still like to think that i'm probably the most politically active person that you know at this age well yeah because that like literally that was the only time anybody gave a fuck about anything that was going on yeah you know they gave a fuck when it was election time and then they gave a fuck when that poor guy died you know and uh like and obviously it was a good thing to raise a bit of awareness on you know it's it, it happens more often than we think but it just didn't it wasn't right that they were using it as like a like scheme yeah because you know, a lot of people it, this it, poor it, guy was being used as like it became a social media phenomenon more yeah, so i than remember like, I, I made a i made a post about this months ago actually on my uh on like my, my finsta page uh-huh. if i can pull it up real quick actually yeah go ahead and uh and it's funny because the one person I expected to get mad at it got mad at it. And uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. Oh, oh yeah. I yeah. Remember. I remember. Yeah, here it is. Um, yep. uh, I said that the select group of people on these apps who call themselves activists because they're, post- they're posting countless articles and videos regarding George Floyd. But the thing is, y'all aren't activists. You're fake. I didn't, I didn't see any of these people saying anything anything about standing up for black people in this country until after George Floyd was murdered and like y'all didn't care about Christopher DeAndre Mitchell who was also gunned down while sitting in a parking lot I didn't know, I don't know the information about that but that was just another name that I knew yeah he, he that name probably doesn't even ring a bell he was another black man murdered in cold blood by the cops but y'all were as silent as mice for him why is that there's a video of the man being shot from body cam and y'all still didn't care being an activist isn't about being upset or angry at one situation that takes over the country. You can't pick and choose what to be angry about when you only care about the situations that are all over the news and all over the internet. That's clout chasing. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I want to make it abundantly clear that this isn't meant to be a political podcast. I mean, like, granted, yes, we're going to talk, at least in, to some extent, about politics. But it's really not meant to be like a political commentary podcast as much as it is. It's just like, well, if there's a current situation going on, maybe we'll discuss it. Um, granted, yes, this next topic is regarding politics, but th- this podcast is mostly meant to focus on uh, just really just everyday life and some, you know, philosophy, I guess, in a sense. <laughs> I'm not a philosopher, but... Uh, I, I'm not a philosopher, but it's like... I'm not a philosopher, however, I, I do... We're very well-spoken. <laughs> Not even that. Like I'm, I don't. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not studying philosophy, but I, I've taken some philosophy classes because, like, I had to take critical thinking. I had to take ethics, and a lot of it really comes down to just basic um, human rationality and thought and behavior. And I, I just always thought that that stuff was interesting. So, you know, and the more I thought about it, the more I developed a unique perspective, I guess. And um, you know, that's that's why I decided. I was like, let's just make it about that. Let's answer some ex- existential questions. Yeah. So, um... Ooh, okay, that's why I had the other notebook. I, I like that. What's up? I didn't. I don't know why you pulled out the other notebook. I'm actually interested now. Oh, uh, no, this is just for some of the stuff over here. All right, bet. Um, so, uh, this next topic is... Really, I got the inspiration to think of this topic when it came down to the fact that it kind of just hit me. We're only nine days into a new presidential administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think who's in office really changes any of the social uh, social events that are going on necessarily. I don't Not think. To some extent, will have an effect. Oh, excuse me. Jesus, God, the stupid Sanchez. So, so good. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've done a good amount of research on 
the counterculture of the 1960s. And I'm, I'm not a historian by any means, but I do love history, and I love seeing how things connect and how they've kind of come full circle. And one thing that I've noticed is that the 1960s was like the first like introduction to a counterculture. It was the first, at least for, for America, it was like the first like, oh, like rebel against the system and yeah. racial justice, social justice, free love, open mm-hmm. drugs, whatever. I'm starting to notice the fact that this is a new counterculture. This is a unique counterculture in that it has started off rather than on a total upheaval of the system. It started off small. It started off very small. It started off with um, certain groups demanding, I guess, uh, legislatively enacted rights um it's going to be my conservatism showing but you know like the creation of certain rights that simply just don't exist and then uh, uh, a drive to make it obligatory for other people to acknowledge it even though it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense so mostly I, I wanted to cover two main things really with this is it's not even a matter of like, oh, who's right, who's wrong, but it, it's kind of like, it just brushes the surface of it and it kind of goes back into the philosophy. Yeah. So I want to talk about the moral relativism of this counterculture and the, the hedonism. Um, for those who don't know what hedonism means, it means one is quite, and this isn't a textbook definition, but this is just uh, more, one more or less simply pursues personal pleasure and satisfaction and complete disregard to um, any possible ramifications in the future, any um, immediate consequences or latent consequences on, on another person or group of people. So, and, I, and I think that those two words really describe the counterculture today. And I think Ryan has some different views on it than I do because he describes himself. I don't want to mis- mischaracterize you here, but you have uh, described yourself as like a social liberal and an economic conservative. Yeah, I'd say so anyway. And... The one thing that it was when I was an independent for a couple months was that I was an economic liberal and a social conservative. I think social conservatism has been the the main driving point for me for a lot of my views. So I want to get your take. For I want to get your take and I'll answer um, on. You you know what moral relativism is, right? Yeah, essentially. Okay, so do you think that there's a state of moral relativism? That we're not only seeing to become popular in pop culture, but also becoming popular in the education system and certain institutions that more or less set, not guidelines or blueprints, but kind of just set uh, a precedent of how we should live our lives and what values and ethics we should hold. The whole thing going on with how... I don't like how it's being it's not being asked in a sense it's being forced better yet better yet let me phrase it this way so i think the better way to word this question would be do you think that morals are relative or do you believe that they are objective start you off with that question objective okay just due to the fact that everybody's got different ones you know, there are some, everyone's got, there are some morals that are similar and then some morals that are well, completely that's, different. 
not to upstage you, but that would be relative or subjective. Objective means that there's a set um, moral code that we all have to abide by. That's moral objectivity. Moral objectivity is the fact that is the belief in the existence of an absolute truth. Um, in regards to morals and ethics, it means that we're all supposed to live by the same moral and ethical rules. Whereas moral relativism means that we kind of create our own rules. And we can say, we can determine for ourselves what's moral individually as opposed to as if we belong to as a society, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't, it, it's like going back on to what I was saying with that. Um, we all have the set life that we're told that we're supposed to live, you know? But then going back to what you said, everybody, it's like, it's like what you said, how everybody makes their own decisions and how what we decide what's moral and what we decide how to do things. Well, now, to better characterize what I said, I didn't necessarily say that that's how it is. I, I say that that's, um, like, that's by definition moral relativism, but it's also what we're leaning towards. Um, so. And I, and I kind of like that in the sense that so, like, so you more or less agree with moral relativism, and it, it, like yes and no, okay. in the sense that I'm happy that everybody's kind of finding their own way without having people tell them how it should be like this and it should be like that. But then again, that could also be counterproductive in the sense that even though you like doing it the way that you're doing, this way could be ten times better and can get you into a position where you actually feel like you can strive instead of just floundering in right. the same. At, in the same atmosphere that you've been floundering in. Right. Um, so, like, some existential questions that a moral relativist wouldn't necessarily ask, but even more rhetorical, would be like, well, why can't sex work be legal? And why can't people be proud to be sex workers? Or um, why can't... Like, why can't certain... Why can't all cultures come together, exist as their cultures, but live, um, not necessarily interchangeably, but um, like coexist in the same space? So, to to me, basically, I have, I have a very big problem with moral relativism. If I'm if I'm being one hundred percent honest, and I'm not even ashamed of that. Um, one thing that I learned as I went through these classes and this isn't necessarily an appeal to authority because I also you know I, I read directly from the the horses or whatever the phrase is and take it directly from the horse's mouth whatever the hell it is yeah you get it right and I, and I read directly from these philosophers and I read their philosophical theory and I believe in an objective truth I believe that Objectivity is what everybody, as individuals, but also collectively as a society, should strive for. Because if there is no objective truth, then we kind of falter at, and we buckle at the knees when asked certain existential questions. So, because at the end of the day, it's very easy for a moral relativist to say, I don't know what's right and what's wrong because no one knows. It's very easy to say that. And I think that that's taking the easy way out for it. Um, you know, 
like moral relativism has an emphasis on like individual satisfaction and pleasure and that kind of goes into the hedonism of that but i think it's deeper than that because moral relativists like to think that um the see but like with that i don't use it as a gain for myself a lot that moral relativists do though that's the thing yeah they, like they I, explain I, their they explain any um uh indiscretion they explain all these digressions away by saying well morality is relative yeah it's like i don't use it in my own life like in my own personal life it's i use a lot of objective morality but okay when i think about things and i think about how people are reacting Mm -hmm. and how people are doing certain things it makes me it just make it's like how it was going on at my point earlier about how when we when you went to go get the booze, uh, I was doing the Instagram question like if you could change one thing in this world, what would it be? The open mindedness and the ignorance to one certain topic or one certain way of living life. And I'm more and I, I I don't disagree with the idea that there's like an object and that it's more objective than it is relative, but. In that same aspect, it makes me smile that people are actually using their heads and trying to come up with their own thing instead of just going by what everybody else does because they just so happen to work. Right. And I understand that, but going back to the notion that, like, you know, people would rather pursue uh, individual satisfaction and rather instant gratification, as we like to call it nowadays. Um, uh, Fork, one of my favorite legal theorists and philosophers, he, in Tempting of America, ultimately said something along the lines of uh, individuals should not act as if they do not belong to society as a whole because without, um, um, this isn't a direct quote, I could probably get the direct quote if I wanted to, but it, it was just along the lines of, People should act as if they belong to a society as a whole because if we don't act in that way, then there would be no use for laws and then the law would be that of the jungle. And that stuck with me because if you think about it, if every if everyone were to live by a standard in which they can create their own moral code in that they can rationalize things as it's moral to them because that is what they believe to be right and wrong, then... The truth is there would be no necessity for a law because you can justify a killing. You can justify killing somebody. You could justify robbing somebody. Like, you know, um, like the whole Robin Hood effect where it's like you can justify killing a rich man so long as you give it to a poor person. Uh, people of a moral relativist notion tend to think that way, not necessarily to that extreme, but along those lines. And I, just because of the fact that I believe in um, uh, an objective truth and morality. I think that there is a certain moral code that we have to abide by, and because that that exists, that at the very least gives structure to society, and it gives meaning not necessarily to life, but it gives meaning to obligation, gives meaning to social duty, and uh, the the notion that we all are responsible to each other. Am I right? Yeah. So. Because if you're not responsible to, if you're not, if you don't abide by 
an objective moral code, right? Mm-hmm. Then you're really not responsible to anyone but yourself. You're not even responsible for yourself at that point because you can explain it away by saying, oh, well, these are my ethics. And you can disagree with them or you can agree with them, but either way they are the way they are. Mm-hmm. And it's because that line of thinking is what I think is is destructive to um, society as a whole. And I, I think that's where we're leaning towards because a lot of people, especially in certain factions and political activist groups, for example, um, a lot of them justify certain rather unethical behaviors by basically saying, well, this is our morality. And that's how a lot of people explain multiculturalism. You know, um, An example I like to use is the fact that um, amongst Eskimo tribes in the north, uh, North Canada and Alaska and even in the um, Arctic Circle area, they commit infanticide. And I, and that aside, obviously, it doesn't need to be explained, but the, the reason that they do it is it's, they, they claim that it's a cultural thing. They claim that it is a moral code that their culture abides by, and it's a moral, and it's a, or a cultural tradition, in, in a sense, as morbid as that sounds. And a lot of cultures practice certain extreme behaviors. And that's where multiculturalism kind of comes into effect, where it's like, well, we can't judge another person's culture because it's their culture. And that is moral relativism at its, at its worst, because then that ultimately justifies the killing of another person. Moral relativism at its least extreme is basically saying, well, you can't tell me that it's immoral to cheat on my wife, because I think it is. Like, it's that, you know, like that's ultimately what the premise of moral relativism is. It's like I can create my own rules in life because I have the freedom to. And because, you know, there's no set moral code. And I don't think that anyone has agreed upon a moral code because I don't think anyone's been ballsy enough to come out with one, to, to propose one. The nearest the closest example I can find is the Ten Commandments and that's not even substantial for it. Because that's based off of <clears throat> that's still based off of ideologies and still based off of a different style of culture because not everybody lives in the Christianity well, that's style not, of living. That's not even necessarily for Christianity. It shouldn't be it, it shouldn't be well, well, I mean, the, the, it, sh- it shouldn't be well, it shouldn't even have to be a commandment to well, know, aside, say thou shalt not kill. Aside from the first two everything is pretty much how life should go. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt like or whatever. Like that thou shalt not like fuck your neighbor's wife that thou shalt not do this thou shalt not do that thou shalt not make words that have thou shalt in the fucking commandments okay you know and like even then with the ten commandments there are still things in there that just cause like the, like the ten commandments is kind of a loose base to go off of with that just based on that it's more Besides the first two, it's pretty much just how life should be. Right, okay, so you're not like a you're not like a Christianity type of way. It's right. just how. So, but, but the thing is, when you say that that it's just how we should be people. Right. So, and I'm not saying okay, I, you might have misunderstood me. I'm not saying that anyone should. A moral code is very, very vaguely defined. And it's very vaguely defined because a moral code would recognize the fact that um, it can't be applicable to everybody in every individual situation. Because, you know, think about it. Like, doctors have different ethics and lawyers have ethics. You know yeah. what I mean? So we can't all just combine them and just say, oh, everyone's... So 
ultimately, an objective moral code rather just suggests that as you go through life, you should always do things um, according to a very vague but very generally applied moral code. And I think that that's where I fall with that. Because I don't necessarily think that anyone should make up their own de definition of morality. I don't think that anyone should ever say, well, it's subjective or it's relative. Because, once again, if everything is subjective and relative, then therefore there can be no laws. And the only laws would be that of the jungle, as poor Flexus say. Ah, fuck my back. <laughs> but, you know, even with that it's like it's like i explained earlier do i live by more relativism no i don't you know i'm not saying that you do no I, like i'm just i'm just clarifying that you know it just it, it's like it goes back to how i was saying like i like how people are using their heads in the but, sense but, like but, the, what, but what do you mean by that like not that they're making their own morals and not like they're making this seem right because it's they think it's right they're just looking at everything from afar, and then they're using their heads and they're using their voices to be like, oh, well, I mean, why is it that way? And it's like, oh, well, why can't we do it that way? I just like that the questions are being asked. Do I necessarily agree with the actions that are taking place? Not really. But the fact that we're questioning, and I just like that because a, que it's like everything, a question without an answer, an answer without a question is just a statement. And you really need these questions to be asked so that they could, so that people could more or less understand why it's got to be that way instead of it shouldn't be this way because. I, okay, listen, listen, I, I get that people are asking questions and that's fine, but they ask questions and they act as if there isn't an answer to be provided and they don't necessarily. And that's my problem with it. It's like they get their answer. And then they're still gonna. They're not act satisfied out. with the answer. Yeah, they're not gonna, and they're still gonna act out the way they feel accordingly, even though it's not. Right. Like, and, I, I could get and, and, and then they'll justify that by saying, "Well, morality is relative." So, and you said something um, that kind of like triggered the, the next thing, where it was like, uh, when you say that people are questioning certain things, like certain moralities, and the thing is, the problem that I think that we have as a society is the fact that there are no moral philosophers anymore. There are no more Aristotles, there are no more Plato's or Socrates. Um, th there's no one really here to make us realize that there is an objective truth and a moral code to abide by. And because of that, I think that people have come to the conclusion that as society changes, or at least as time goes on, that societal values are subject to radical change. You know, for, for example, um, uh, I remember when, when abortion was first legalized in 1973 via Roe v. Wade that it was stated that abortion should be, quote, uh, safe, legal, and rare. Now, nowadays, uh, abortion is a very commonly practiced... My uh, body, my choice. Huh? The, the, the phrase, my body, my choice, comes yeah. into play with that a lot. Right, and that... But that kind of just leaves... That phrase could also go back into moral relativism. It's like, oh, well... It's not affecting you in any way, therefore, why does it matter to you? But it's like, well, no, it's not necessarily that it's not affecting me personally, but it's affecting society. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not taking the, an official stance on abortion at, in this moment, but I am drawing into, um, I guess, a line of questioning of, you know, like, 
how did it go from abortion should be safe, legal, and rare to abortion should be committed hundreds of thousands of times, you know, and kind of used as an alternate form of birth control as opposed to the, the, the very last resort, you know? I like, think that's kind of a stretch anymore. You know, I don't think abortion is as popular as some people make it out to be. In what sense? It's not like everybody's fucking... It's not like everybody's going having sex just being like, oh man, damn fool out, let's go. You know, there's still, like, there's still, like, the plan B, and there's still obvious birth control methods that people can take. It's not like everybody's like, all right, let's just go. It's not like everybody's like, damn, I want somebody to stick right. it. Right, okay. Like, it's not like I want, damn, people are going to stick this fucking vacuum inside of me and just suck out this life that's inside of me. Bet, that sounds fucking awesome. Okay. But in that same vein, it, it people recognize that it's an it's a easily accessible option and I think that it's easily accessible to blow my brains out too I'm not gonna do that so give me one second okay so in 2013 or 2013 2018 for example um, about 615,000 abortions were reported that is almost a million which is arguably a lot I, I don't think I don't think any other surgery other than certain emergency surgeries that are relatively common like an appendectomy I don't think anything like that is performed as commonly let alone something that's supposed to be safe legal and rare again an appendectomy necessarily isn't your choice either right but it's your like, choice like, but, and then, like, then, it's, like, it's like I had appendicitis I didn't choose to fucking pass right. out of my grandparents kitchen okay like, okay that's fine but in that same vein it's like it, it is your choice to have unprotected sex knowing the possible ramification that you will eventually be fertilized and have an unwanted child so my th- my whole thing is is that like where like where did it go where where did it go from it should be safe legal and rare to 615,000 abortions per year at least that, like that that's just where I like and I, and that's just where I think it goes down to the, the relative no, and, I, and I get what you're saying because not not only does it have anything to say about like you know people's view on you know human condition but it's also like sexual morality uh, familial morality so that that's where I'm going with this it's not to be anti-abortion or pro-abortion it's, it's merely just like you know, looking at all the societal uh, factors that literally lead to a social policy such as safe, legal, and rare abortion to 615000 per year. You know, like that, that's just where I want to figure that out. Yeah, and like that's valid. You know, you want to know where that all came from and everything. I kind of want to know too. I, I, it's like, because it's like growing up in like the Catholic high school and the Catholic school that I went to, you're taught that babies are just supposed to be born. Like, like whatever... Thing happens whether it's an accident whether there's motherfucking birth defects whether there's this whether there's that I'll never forget this uh, some people came to my high school and they did a whole pro-life fucking presentation and they talked about the birth of their daughter okay the birth of their daughter was uh, the doctor told them that their daughter wasn't gonna live straight up told them that their daughter wasn't gonna live and they still went through with it because they thought that was quote unquote God's gift to them. And the baby was born without with its brain sticking out of its head. Oh, and it was at that moment 
when my mind completely flipped and I said, that's not beautiful. That's selfish. That's really selfish. Okay. And in that aspect, it's like you think about all the other people who have had these terrible things happen to these kids because they just didn't want to go get the abortion to where the 615,000 is kind of like, you kind of wish that was a little bit more just due to the stories that you hear. But, but the thing is that that is a very rare and extreme example. The, the reality of the fact is that majority of those, I don't have the number in front of me, the majority of those is what have just been... I mean, the majority of them are one-night stands, you're right, but it's like... So, so, but like, once again, that goes into the relativism of it, the moral relativism of it. It's like, do we... Like, I wouldn't why? necessarily even call it relativism. I would just call it irresponsibility. But it's justified by the, the fact... See so, you now, and again, not to go into much of the history, but like the sexual revolution of the nineteen sixties, the, the notions of free love and you know premar- and premarital sex and unprotected premarital sex, which, uh, one night stands, hookup culture, like all of this is justified by saying that moral morality exists on a plane of relativity. That's how it's justified. So when um, when we try to rationalize it, we really don't get answers because people just say, well, it's relative. That's my problem with it is the fact that rather than just than simply whisking it away and saying that it's relative, why don't we try to get to the core of the objective truth and admit to it ourselves that one night stands and hookup culture is not moral. Therefore, it should not be practiced. Uh, I'm not, again, I'm not taking a stance on abortion, but I, you know, I just want to... I want to represent the fact that abortion wouldn't be at 615,000 per year. It would be considered safe, legal, and rare if the moral relativism of the sexual revolution in the 1960s counterculture not only perpetuated at the time, but also translated and became more radical and extreme in today's society. Because back then, could you imagine how many babies would have been born had people in the 1960s had Tinder? I'm just saying. No, I know. And and the thing is, is that like apps like Tinder are becoming very common, and like the notion of hookup culture is very common. People talk about one night stands rather than in a shameful manner. They talk about them as just like another another fling. Just uh, did you did not to cut you off or anything, but just let you know, this should probably be our last two drinks because we still got to get in the car eventually. Oh yeah, I know. We'll I'm just I'm just letting you know. Yeah, no, we'll be fine. But uh, you know, it's like it's like but being in that same vein, I understand what you're saying. How that's a culture coming up and being a counterculture and being more of a radical style of what happened in the 60s and how that could be considered the more relativism that we're talking about but when I think about it I don't see it's like I said I see irresponsibility I don't necessarily I don't see okay I mean I, I see how it's how it's the more relativism because it's my body my choice you can't tell me not to do it because it's mine but it's more of the irresponsibility of being like, I can do this, I'll be fine, and then you're not. Right, but also the fact that it has translated so heavily to the fact that people are literally, rather than not talking about one-night stands, they're bragging about them. And it's the fact that uh, that moral relativism has appropriated behavior like that. It's made it not only normal, but acceptable and rather encourageable. So that that's, that's ultimately like where I'm just coming to the conclusion that it's like, Things can't exist on a moral plane because if they, if they did, then there would be no responsibility. Therefore, there would be no consequences, and therefore there'd be no law. And there has to be law. Law is what holds society together. 
if everyone were to abide by their own laws, because laws, like it or not, are usually driven from morals, if everyone were to have their own morals and therefore their own laws, then the, the chaos that would ensue. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I know what you're saying. So that, that, that's just where, you know, that's my whole thing. Um, so let's translate that into, we talked about that for a while. Yeah, that was a while. I, I, I love talking about stuff like that. Though, I know, I know. Um, so obviously your take on this question would be a little bit different than mine, but do you see, I'm not sure if this is the right even wording for your question, but I guess say if hypothetically you were to take my position, uh, would you see any hope for the future in making, possibly establishing a moral code and the acknowledgement of a moral objectivity? This might sound nihilistic, but not really. Uh... Just in the sense that the way that people are, we know for a fact that nobody is going to completely agree on one set style of living. There's always going to be that one motherfucker that's going to want to change the world. And then everybody who wants to change the world with them are just going to be like, yeah. And then we get like fucking, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Che Guevara type shit. You know, and can we actually implement a moral code to live by? Absolutely. Absolutely, we can. But and but the thing is, it won't work for as long as people think it will. Even with the laws that are upheld, because there will be uprisings. Well, we've seen it happen in Cuba. We've seen it happen. Well, this this isn't. We're not talking about this necessarily in dictatorialships, but even in this democracy, this republic, not democracy, that we live in. It could still end up. It could still end up happening because it's happening now. Right, but so I, I see it this way. I don't think that's too late. I don't think that's too late to reverse course and to say, well, possibly these aren't the best societal standards that we want to be living by. Like, I don't personally. I don't want a future in where, you know, like, like when I think about like you know my my dream wife, I don't picture her. You know, being 20-something years old, having one-night stands from random guys on Tinder all the time, let alone living in a society and rearing children in a society where, you know, they're going to walk in the door with, with a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're pretty much going to know, like, oh, like, you met them on Tinder, you probably already had sex. So, my take on it is... Rather than to, to avoid like a totalitarian ship, I, I think that a lot of the stuff really just goes back down to the fact that, and again, this doesn't really go into legal or political philosophy, but it's like a lot of the Supreme Court decisions that have been handed down, like a lot of the times, open the door for moral relativism, like you know, like the eradication of no-fault divorce, or not, not the eradication, the implementation of no-fault divorce. Back in the day, like you know, there had to be a legitimate problem in order for you to get a divorce. No, Nowadays, there was a uh, there's just a, like there's a law in fucking like Iceland or something where you gotta be a certain length to get married. I shit you not, that's a real law. That's a stupid law. There was a woman that was so unsatisfied with her man in bed that they literally made a law so that you gotta be at least three inches to get married. But you know. A lot of, again, a lot of those Supreme Court decisions really just made it difficult, and they made it, and they opened the door for it. Like, again, 
like eradicate no fault divorce like make people who decide to get married like make them work it out like and if they can't work it out then there is a genuine problem that would lead to an actual divorce but you can't just use like oh I fell out of love with you like you have kids you have a house you have responsibilities you have obligations you know you're rearing children you can't just justify the abandonment and, and in that same vein that could lead that let's say you force a couple to be together that could lead to forms of domestic violence uh, that's a slippery slope policy though because uh, domestic vi- domestic abusers are, have, have a personality trait to them in which makes not necessarily makes them become domestic abusers but they, they prefer control I mean and even then not everybody's going to be a domestic abuser because of a bad marriage but there could just be one time where because everybody's got their breaking point you just haul off and slap somebody right but then that's same but you could also talk about the fact that Plenty of domestic abusers stay married to the person that they abuse, and sometimes up until the point of death. But that's just out of fear, because they don't want to leave because they feel like they'll get killed. Okay, but it's also a rare and extreme example. My thing is, is that no fault divorce has made it very easy for people to base marriage and relationships off of mere feelings as opposed to rational thought and. You know, obligation to a family and well, the whole thing with children. The, yeah, with that is you want to know what like I like. I think how they handle marriage is proper. Like, like you need a license to do it. You need to go through all these hoops to make sure that it gets done. Just to make sure you want to go through this process to live with somebody for the rest of your life. It's not a hard process. You can roll to to Vegas and get married. Yeah, but you know what I mean. And, I know. I know what you mean, but and it's like, but in that same vein, um. With that, obviously, you feel like you want to know that you want to build your future around said person, but well, not, not a lot but of that's times. but that's more or less that, that that that's a feeling that you can feel that you can build around that person. Right, but think about it. Usually, it doesn't happen spontaneously. It doesn't necessarily happen in a matter of months where you're still in the honeymoon phase. Usually, a lot of the times, um, this is anecdotal, but in, in my sister's case, they, they had dated for for six something years before they even got engaged, and. During that time, like a lot of rational thought has to get put into it. A lot of like, can I see myself in this person for this amount of time? Like, if and again, if you eliminate no fault divorce, then that would literally make people think more about getting married than before. Because rather than saying, oh, if I don't, if I fall out of love with them, I can just leave them. Because it would give people that second, like, oh well, before I say yes to getting married, like I should think about it. Like, you know, if. If I were to fall out of love with them, because no fault divorce no longer exists, or in a hypothetical where it no, never existed, like, could I see myself working it out with them? Like, could I at least see myself being able to, like, you know, like, uh, honor the the commitment that I made to them? Yeah. Like that. That's what it ultimately comes down to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't like how this doesn't charge my phone, but. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, like the, the I don't want to. Yeah, I'd probably go for it. Um, but it's like, it's a, it's not. I don't want to say it's a touchy subject because it's really not. It's not. But it's really. It makes people. It, it makes people uncomfortable. Why? And I don't know why. I really don't. You know, I, I, I'm a product of divorce. I think you and I both so, are. So am I. You and I both are. Like, but the thing is, and, and we know how it works. Like, we know it's nothing. It's nothing against us as children, but... But, and here, again, you know, here's another thing, too. 
not to bring up abortion again, but what you said with the child being born with their brain outside of their head, you said that that was selfish of the parents to continue that pregnancy up until uh, up until um, uh, delivery. But the the stats don't lie when they say that the the three indicators that a child will not be in poverty is if they go to school, they're, they have a two-parent household, preferably a father-mother unit, and they're not out of, they don't have the child out of wedlock. Those are the three main indicators that the child will not be in poverty. So with no-fault divorce, my parents, for example, I don't believe it was, I believe it was a no-fault divorce. You know, I'm not in poverty, but the, the toll that the divorce took on me and my sister was, I don't even really know how to describe it, because I really don't even remember much of my childhood. And I think that had no-fault divorce, again, not existed, my parents were forced to work it out, I think at the very least I could have had a more stable childhood, rather than, you know, going back and forth from my parents. And I think that that's selfish. Quite, to be quite honest with you, I think that it's selfish to say, well, I don't love my wife or husband anymore, and therefore I'm willing to shatter my children's world simply because I fell out of love with him. I think that that's an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. It's like some kids don't realize what's happening either, like when they're that age. Like my parents split you up. Not, you may not recognize it at the time because you don't necessarily know any better, but the thing is is that the, the, the effects of it on the child are real. They're, they're not only real anecdotally they're real empirically they're, they're real that children grow up majority of the time the children with who grow up with mental illness are usually products of divorce they usually saw their parents get divorced or they experienced it so to me like i think that the only time a no-fault divorce can actually be uh, justified is if there are no children involved but if there are children involved i don't believe that no no-fault divorce can stand because I think that that is a hellish process to put a child through. It's no condition for a child to be raised in. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and say it was fun. It it sucked. Well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying you are. No, it's like I didn't. I didn't necessarily enjoy it. I got I got fucking uprooted because my parents got divorced. You know, mm-hmm. I got uprooted. and I had to change my whole life around. It it wasn't fun, but in that same aspect, I don't know where the hell I would be if my parents had stayed together or were forced to work it out. As you know, my backstory. I understand, and, and, it's just and, like, and, and the thing is, and that's a very, very specific, not common type of thing. Right, but but the thing is, is that I'm not saying eradicate divorce entirely, but eradicate no fault divorce. No, I agree. You, because no, I understand what you're saying. In the case of you and your of your father and your mother, that pro- there probably would have been a lot of ground for fault, and therefore the divorce would have been fine. And I'm sure things probably would have gone the exact same way. In my case, where where I believe it was a no fault divorce. It, I, I genuinely think that my life would be not only better, but I would, I, I wouldn't have had the the issues of adolescence that I did had my dad actually been around, whether by court order or not. He still would have been there to fulfill his father obligations, and that's what I mean by when I say that no fault divorce is is a plague on on our society because of the fact that, like, it, it's not only. It's more self-interest involved. It more focuses on the interests of, of the two parties involved rather than the, the parties produced by those two parties. Because, again, you know, uh, like, to, to say that 
a married couple with two or three children can get divorced simply because they fell out of love and the children are still in, you know, like, uh, primary school age. Like, to say that, that that's okay and then that we should tolerate that, that, that that's just, it's irrational and I, I, quite honestly, I just think that it's a selfish idea. I think that things should be forced to work out unless there's an absolute fault. Because at the end of the day, like, you can't just go around saying like, oh, well, I just fell out of love with them, therefore I divorced them and ruined my three children's lives. And that is oftentimes what happens with no-fault divorce. So that, like, that to me is just, I don't know how we got from any hope for the future to no-fault divorce. But well, I mean, it kind of it kind of works out. Because, I mean, your hope for the future is that they eradicate that. It is a hope for the future. So, I mean, it's kind of on topic. <laughs> yeah. But I think that there's just, I think it really just goes back to the Supreme Court and a lot of the fact that the Supreme Court uh, erroneously rules on social issues and they shouldn't. They should rule on constitutional and statutorial issues. I think social issues should be handled in the state, not by the country. If I, if I were a Supreme Court justice, majority of these cases, I would just say 10th Amendment, I'm not dealing with this. Like, I'm sorry, but like, it's not for me to decide. Fair. Like, abortion. Same-sex marriage, leave it to the states because there's nothing in the Constitution that says like it should be one way or the other. It's just like no, like leave that to the states. If this, the federal government has not been delegated that power, that power goes to the states. All right, so moving on, we're gonna answer some uh, philosophical questions from Yay. from <laughs> from my Instagram uh, followers. Um, yeah, I think Ryan was explaining how like we were posting the uh, question polls and things like that. And I uh, got some good ones. Got four really good ones that I like to answer. Um, I know that he was saying that he answers them via video. I answer mine via text. Not like I don't text the person individually, but like I, I type it out and post it on my story. But I, I'd like to take this time to answer these questions, not only in full, but also to rationalize. You know, rather than just saying how it is. Rather, you know, Get ready for the next 45 minutes of your life. <laughs> Probably, maybe longer. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even know how long this thing's been, to be honest with you. It's been over an hour. There, there's no timer on this, if I'm being honest with you. <clears throat> um, I should probably go back to using voice memos instead of garage bands, but it's okay. That's fine. All right, so, you know, this actually could go a little bit longer. I mean, I'm sure you'll probably delegate Sony answers rather just more to me, but... Yeah. All right, so first question was, um, who is your favorite philosopher and why? I'm not sure if you have a favorite one, but you're free um, to answer. Um, honestly, uh, Socrates, just because I watched Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure, and he was a part of their history project, and he was the only one that I've honestly read and heard of outside of like the other Greek mythologists, outside like Plato and like Aristotle and shit like that. Okay. I don't know. He's, like I, I only I literally met him at Socrates, and that's my only thing of him is like I don't know many philosophers so I probably know of philosophers that are, consider themselves philosophers that I don't know are philosophers hmm. so there's probably one that I'm like really missing but I guess for now until I figure out who that is it's Socrates okay that's fair um so yeah same answer I posted on my Instagram story um Emmanuel Kant uh I was introduced to him through my critical thinking class and um his theory of deontology and the law of universality were, were two main things that captured my interest. Um, and just so you know, this is this are going to be like a, an exchange of ideas, more so just like stating ideas. I figured. Okay. As long as, as, long as you recognize that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
Deontology ultimately means that you should always rationalize a, a decision that you make based on whether or not that, um, I think deontology and universality, and the law of universality go hand in hand. Um, ultimately, it's like you need to base the morality of a decision based off of whether or not, um, with logical consistency, um, that that action could be uh, practiced as a universal practice by everybody in the world. And second, um, if society would be willing to let that happen. So one big stance that I took on it that a particular person was not necessarily uh, fond of was um, when I posted a, um, an opinion piece based off of Immanuel Kant's universality or law of universality um, on the topic of OnlyFans and you know the, the amateur porn industry that's become quite popular throughout the pandemic. Um, and my stance on it was rather clear. It was, you know, like, and this kind of goes back to the whole sex work thing where it's like, to, to, to advocate for its legality is one thing. To, to justify it as, a, as entirely moral and something as, um, that should be universally acceptable, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it's a completely different story because um, it, my whole proposition was like, well, if we strip away the context, we simply say, well, what do we have? We have regular people, both men and women, um, who are still have aspirations of achieving some type of better career goal via higher education or otherwise. Um, and we have them not only exposing themselves online, but also selling uh, this exposure to anonymous strangers, you know, is that something that, like, would we as a society be willing to let that happen? Like, would we as a society be willing to say, well, you know, because they do it, therefore every sexual encounter that every individual on the planet has ought to be uh, photographed, recorded, and posted online for a fee. <laughs> I think that the rational answer to that should be a resounding no. And therefore, uh, the concept of amateur porn and the porn industry in and of itself should, should not be rationalized as moral. I'm not saying that people should or should not do it. I, I actually highly advise against um, someone starting an OnlyFans um, because it will, will ruin your life. I promise you that. Um, and I'm not, that's not a threat. That's merely just me saying, like, do not expect to gain gainful employment when you have this content out there of yourself. Um, it's as simple as that. You can sacrifice. You, the thing is, when it comes to stuff like that, you need to commit to it. You, you either, you don't just step into the porn industry and step out as you please. Once you're in it, you're in it. Plain and simple. Look at me, Khalifa, for example. She, she, that was never what she wanted to do. She had like, what? I think she said she had like three or four videos and then it haunts her for the rest of her life. Once you're in that industry, you can't get out. OnlyFans, Pornhub, whatever it is, you just cannot get out. So if you're gonna make that decision, decide to become a porn star. Um, but if you have bigger goals in life, don't do it. Um, so Immanuel Kant with the law of universality, really it just goes down to the fact that like that's how all um, concepts of morality should be based on. They should be based on like, well, if everyone were to commit this act, would that be, like, would it be, you know, like, would it be welcomed by society? 
And again, that can go down to like a lot of different things. So I think that's really where it comes into. Um, Manuel Kant also had a heavy emphasis on individual autonomy and not using people as an ends to a means, but rather as a means in and of themselves, or I'm sorry, an end in, in and of, of themselves. Oh my God, let me, let me reword Leave. that. <laughs> Immanuel Kant emphasized not using someone as a means to an ends, but as a end in and of themselves. There you go. There we go. Got it out. Um, and, and I just, I think that that's the best way to go about it, where it's like, you're not supposed to use people. You're not, you're supposed to treat people as autonomous beings. And I think that that's where a lot of corporations fail because they treat human beings as numbers and paychecks as opposed to individuals. Um, I think that's where a lot of the disconnect is on that topic, but more than once get into that in a later episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Manuel Kant, and uh, that's why. So, <laughs> um, well, that's gonna be a good one for you. Oh yay! Next question: um, What do you think happens to us when we die? Um, I read this theory. Um, it's theory a to start it. <laughs> it's a really, really stupid theory. It's definitely one of them like stoner theories. But somebody said like when you die and you see that light at the end of the tunnel and your life is flashing through your eyes and shit. You know, that that's you being reborn as another person. And the reason the babies come out crying is because they relive that horrible, horrible life. And they're not good. They don't want to remember it. So they're going to repress it and try to do things. That's why deja vu happens. That's how they explain it. That's the, ex- the explanation of deja vu. My honest, you know, like, there are people who believe in it. You don't have to be, you don't even have to be religious to believe in an afterlife. Oh, no. no, no like, not, not in any way, shape, or form. Do I want there to be an afterlife? Probably. I don't want to lose conscious thought. But... In my honest belief of what happens when you die, you just die. Like I don't think that there's, li- I don't think that there's less to it. Like you're just gone. Like I, the 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 thing that scares me the most is that I'm not gonna be able to think. You know, cause like the one thing I do when I'm bored is that I, I think. You know, I think about certain things that I'm doing. I think about maybe I'm gonna do this later. Or maybe like maybe I shouldn't have bought that. It's like, I mean, I kind of got to do this. Or it's like, maybe I should write this down. Or like, hmm, like, I, I don't want to lose my conscious thought. And what happens when we die is you lose everything, literally. And nothing else comes of it. Would I like to believe in a sense of reincarnation or in a sense of uh, an afterlife? Yeah. <laughs> but... I don't want to be fucking walking around like as a fucking ghost, just ooga booga. <laughs> you know, that, that, like, that, that's not my forte. Uh-huh. It, it's like I just, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather just live my life and go about things the way that things would go about if if there was an afterlife. Okay. But I really do believe that once you die, that's it. There's no. The, no ifs, ands, or buts. Once you're gone, you're just finite. Like, it's curtains. Finite? <laughs> yeah, curtains. Yeah, I respect that. Um, I just had to look back at what I said the first time because I knew I said something in there that I really liked. And um, the way I phrased it was, I believe that death is the final reality. Um, I personally, I, I honestly think that death is probably what it was like before we were born we just no existence mm-hmm. and not, not, again that's a reference like Bill Burr but like in um, 
in his special I'm Sorry You Feel That Way, he pretty much like kind of got into detail about Lutherans and how they just believe that, like, you know, once you're dead, you're dead. And he was like, well, like a pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... And and, then, and he said something that was key to the spot, and it was like, how do you wrap your head around not existing? And I think that that's why people came up with the concept of the afterlife, is because they couldn't rationalize not existing. They couldn't rationalize no longer being mentally or physically present somewhere. And I think that that's a lot of where it comes from. Um, I think it's a lot of the times where it's like people just... they. I'm sure trying to rationalize the thought of non-existence or non-conscience... Uh, I think that that probably would render somebody insane um, because all we know as humans is how to exist. Even even the mentally deficient know that they exist. So um, I, I honestly do believe that death is the, um, the final reality. And although it's very grim and not necessarily hopeful, I, I, I finished that up by saying, well, that's not to say that we shouldn't live as if there is no meaning to life because there sure, certainly is. That, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I don't want to just not exist. That thought creeps me out. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't. It gives me comfort, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, it kind of it kind of creeps me out. It's not, not not even just the thought of just not existing. You know, it's, it's like I keep going back to the like the conscious thought. You know, it's just like I just want to keep – I would like to keep that if there was anything that I would be allowed to keep if I was to die. Right. But – well, not if I was to die, when I die. But it, it's like it goes back to what you're saying. Like it, it's a reality because it's something that we got to accept. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the if you don't accept it, you're just going to be scared of it. There's no reason to be scared of it. It, it happens to literally everybody. You're not fucking special. Like, you know, nobody's eternal. Right. And the, then the quicker you accept that, the quicker you can come to terms with what your ideology of what happens after you die. Right. And my ideology is that as much as I would want there to be something, there's probably nothing. Yeah. And is, is it a hard pill to swallow? Eh, kind of. But, again, it's just one of those things. That, that it's literally such as life. Yeah. And, 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 and it's just, excuse me, I'm stammering, but <laughs> just, just so it goes. Really, yeah. it's like you, you do this, you do that, you live your life, you have a couple kids, you retire, you die. Mm-hmm. So it goes. It goes back to an old saying life sucks and then you die. But there doesn't mean you can't make this sucky life a little bit, a little bit nicer, you know? Actually, let, let me pull up what I said because I'd actually like to refer. Because I, I think I said some relatively important things in there and you know it's it's just like it's like you said like that doesn't mean we have to just think that there's no meaning or that there's no anything to go behind or be with you know it's just it's it's perception but you got to be realistic with the perception as much as you are hopeful yeah so uh the the final thing that i said in in this response was um it's important to abide by a moral code, and this goes back to that, but I was more or less talking about having responsibility and living a good life um, in the life that we do have, um, but I followed that by saying, uh, because that's, what's, that's what holds society together, and it's what makes life worthwhile, otherwise the moral chaos would render life short and painless, because imagine if everybody had a nihilistic approach to it, where it's like, oh, well, nothing matters, I'm going to do with it, whatever the fuck I want anyway. Life would be horrible. Life would be arguably hell. It'd be worse than life would be worse than death <laughs> if people um, lived in that way. 
And I think that people can be, I think we could easily live in an atheistic society as long as we abide by certain principles that, you know, life is. I think that's genuinely, I think that's genuinely the way to go. It is. And, but we need to understand the fact that, like, you can be atheistic but not be nihilistic. You know, you can be atheistic and say, well, uh, the choices I make are going to have an effect on people around me and other people around me value their life. So even if I am a nihilist in my own views, at least I don't have to be a nihilist in their views. And I don't, and therefore I'm not responsible uh, for their suffering. I'm not responsible for, you know, their tragedy. Um, so that that's that's my take on it. You know, it's like, live a good life whatever comes after I think, I think you and I see this very similarly oh we absolutely do yeah because it's like we both know that there's most likely nothing mm. and even if there is we already signed our we, we already signed our certificates we know where the fuck we're going but you know even then yeah, like, see you there <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> gotta literally just gotta fucking like, eat, like not to the extent that most of these assholes will take it but you gotta live life to the fullest you gotta experience you gotta live you gotta love you gotta laugh and that doesn't necessarily it, it stops at some point it stops for everybody but as long as you can look back at even like a, a quarter of the shit you did with your life like a little minor fraction of what you did with your life have one little smile might be worth it yeah and you know I, I love philosophers because um, I can only imagine you know if they could be alive for one, for one day in the present time and see what impact that they had, that their views had. I'm sure that they would view that their life was well achieved, and that's how I want to uh, live my life. I want to live my life as if I were to come back for a day and see what impact I have in the world that it made a difference. Um, whether or not that's a possibility, I doubt. Excuse me, severely doubt that it is. Um, and it's ultimately the life I live. I, I, I would like to live um, a life where I can look back and I was like, I made good decisions and. You know, I, I like to think that what what impact I had on the world, big or small, minuscule or major, uh, was good, and that it helped people in their lives after mine. That's really the only afterlife is a life that comes after yours, realistically. And I think that that's really what it comes down to. It's a matter of like you know, like what world are you leaving behind? That's the afterlife. You know. Yeah, like the whole thing about you want to leave. A good example for people to lead by yes you know and even though like maybe it'll be one or two people that'll lead by your example as long as there's one person doing it then you did something right oh you got his van socks i do have my van socks hey actually these are nikes damn you bitch <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have any clean black van socks on the longer unfortunate yeah, that's whatever i need to get more yeah oh dude they're addictive they're so comfy no i still have star of the week till tomorrow so my discount's still up there you go um okay so next question and and this will be fun for you to answer. Yay. Uh, do you think religion takes place in society as a means of control? Absolutely. Okay. Explain. Um, Rationalize your thoughts. All right. Well, you think about the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag under the United States of America and to the republic for which we stand, one nation under God. Indivisible. With liberty and justice for all. You know? And under God, it's literally been banned in public schools because there are so many people who don't say who don't say the national anthem in public schools just due to the fact that under god is in there that's a semantic and it's ridiculous and religion is literally a controlling thing it's like how you would because you gotta live by this set life otherwise you're going to hell catholicism is the biggest perpetrator of that Mm -hmm. you know and it's like i said i am not I am not against anybody believing what they believe. 
if you are a practicing Christian, a practicing Catholic, a Muslim, Islam, Buddhist, Jewish, whatever the fuck, science, actually, no, fuck Scientology, whatever the fuck you want to be, I'm happy for you, makes you happy, fucking golden. But you got to understand where there are certain lines that seem like it's, not seems like, but it is an aspect of control. Because well, okay, well, you're controlled in the sense that, like, like priests and nuns, for example, they sacrifice their they, they, they sacrifice the idea of having a family. They go through voluntary celibacy. They're changing that now. I, I, oh, they are. Yep, I know all that. Priests are go, are going to be allowed to get. Actually, I'm not sure priests, but I think um, preachers are going to be allowed to get married. Yeah, it's like guys that like deacons and shit can go have like families. And I think preachers do have families still, like some in the South. Yeah, well, but, actually, let me let me rephrase this question before we get too deep in it. Um, how about when religion was first introduced? Do you think that that was more of a means of control? No, I think that was more of somebody trying to make them seem like they were ahead of everybody else, and they're just groomed to this whole thing where they got to do what this guy says, otherwise this is going to happen, which leads to a controlling aspect. Okay. Because you, Because the way that religion works is that they want you to live this life in your head so fucking specifically that they just drill it into you. They drill it into your head like hypnotherapy. <laughs> you know, please rise, please sit, stand, kneel, moment of silence, let's say the Our Father together, eat this wafer, go talk to this guy, drink this wine, you're going to heaven. Go home. <laughs> exactly. And then Go home they- and commit sin and come back tomorrow or come back next week and apologize. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then that whole and it's controlling in the sense that there are people, it's Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they are told that they have to go to these people and spread the word when nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> Those poor guys are getting like punched and they're getting dogs sicked on them and they're getting fucking, and they're getting like these insults. I'm like, I've, there was, I've, I've, I've done it myself. I fucked with them, <laughs> you know, but it's like, and, and Mormonism does the same thing. You know, they'll be told and controlled to go do this and go preach the word of God. And then these women are controlled into having polygamous marriages and having multiple families and having to live with that because... Oh, no, they, they, they only have one family, but they have to share that family yeah, with and the others in the covenant. And you know, <laughs> and, and you know why? Because of the religion. Because God said so. Well, their God said so. And that's controlling. Yeah, that's fair. It's controlling when one person is telling you something that nobody else can hear. Okay. Um, so I answered the question more historically. I, was, I said that I think um, religion kind of like came from just like oral tradition of storytelling. Um, and it was eventually just like written down, uh, I guess, more or less when people were just like, oh, we actually have uh, symbols. <laughs> um, no, I, I honestly, I don't think religion was implemented at first as a means of control. Definitely throughout society, it has been, or not society, but throughout history, it has been used as a form of control. I mean, Look at certain Muslim cultures. Look at certain Christian cultures. Look at the Vatican. Look at um, uh, look at a lot of the Jewish cultures. You know, a lot of these religions. That's gonna die soon, by the way. That's fine. Um, a lot of these religions, they, they have a certain control aspect. However, I think that at first it was more so just to explain the unexplainable because when they didn't understand science and they didn't necessarily understand you know natural happenings it, it was an easy way to to explain it they're like oh well 
the wind blows because of God. The, the you know, it rains because God declares it so. That there's light because God said there. Because God said, let there be light. Um, and I just think that it was a way of explaining the unknown. And over time, of course, don't get me wrong, it absolutely has been used as conformist control. I mean, you know, we, we literally fought a war uh, in 1776 to ultimately say, like, hey, you know, we're tired of the monarchy who thinks that they've been ordained by God when, you know, there's no evidence of that. So, um, I think religion in and of itself has a lot of good aspects to it. I think that... Um, there's a lot of positivity that can come from it. If you do the, it properly, the, there's more positive than there is negative. I if will you say, if you do it properly, there's that the positives always outweigh the negatives. Of course, but then there are the certain people who will literally just patronize you and say like they're expecting you in hell when you say, oh, "I mean, I'm just not, I'm just not religious," <laughs> and you're not even trying to have that conversation. You know? Yeah, it's like I have. You know how many people tell me God bless, and I just say, "Yeah, thanks, you too." <laughs> yeah, so you know, that's not a, it means control, but I, I do think that. Uh, religion does have its good aspects. I think that, you know, if it weren't for religion, we probably would be living in a polygamous society, and we don't want that. Um, religion tells, I mean, like, to the extent that religion control, I think the, the religious idea of sin, that human, like, it's natural to have impulses, but it's immoral to act on certain impulses. And, you know, like, God doesn't judge impulse, but he judges action, I think that that's a good philosophy to live by, you know, where it's like certain things that you're not supposed to do, even though you really want to, uh, you just don't do them because it's just not, like, it keeps you in check. It kind of keeps you from running astray and just, once again, going back to more relativism, you know, it keeps you from running astray and just doing whatever the hell you want to do. And I think that that's good. I think that that is a good equilibrium between religion and society. Now, I'm not saying that, uh... Should I call my dad get his opinion on this? Oh, God. Uh, no, because then we have to extend this for another two hours. How much time we got? Fuck, I don't even know how many, how long we've had on this. So, we, we've been going since probably like two o'clock. Something like that. It's almost three hours in. I don't fuck. care. What do I care? I don't. I don't give a fuck. I love how this is a much shorter list than all the other ones that we've had, but it's a very long podcast. Well, it's because we haven't done it in a while. We're excited. True. Um, and we're drinking, so. Well, you know. Um, well, the alcohol is really going to help the next question, but it's not, we're not going to, we're not there yet. <laughs> um, no, I, I just honestly think that religion serves a purpose. And I think for the most part, the purpose that it serves is good up until the point that it's, you know, telling certain women to, to cover every inch of their body or, um, that they can't eat meat for 40 days or, um, to go blow up a building because God said so, kill people because God said so. Like th that's where I draw the line. More so, I'm just like you know. I think that where religion plays its most vital part is in the individual, not in the culture. I think that people should abide yeah, by. I, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, yeah, it's like because it's just like religion you know, as a whole isn't evil. The people can make it evil. Well, no, no, they they can give it an evil name. It's not making it evil. Because let's be honest, there wasn't any such thing as radical Islam until someone evil made it that way. You're right. Islam is a very peaceful religion when you oh, look absolutely. at it. Oh, absolutely, Islam and Muslim are two of the most peaceful people on the planet until they introduced until one person decided to make it seem like everybody who practices that is radical. Right, and um, 
but I still disagree with the Islamic notion that women should cover most of their body. I think that that's a little mm. see. I like I see that in public every now and then, and it's like I don't I, judge them because no, I'm, I don't either. It's like I I, 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 let, I feel bad for them. I, I judge their religion for making them be that way. You know, and look, and if it makes that if they love that life and they love living that life, then okay. Well, I mean, look at look at the women in the Middle East who just got the right to drive. Yeah. You know, to, to me, I think that that's that's just. I just don't agree with it. I think that that's a restriction of human rights and human dignity. But uh, to conclude my thought, so we can get on with the next question. Sure. Um, yeah, no. I, I think that religion plays a good part in society as long as it pertains to the individual and the individual actions as opposed to societal control. Um, that's why I'm happy that we live in the U.S. because the, the United States government will never use religion as a means of control, and they technically can't even if they tried. And anybody with a rational mind would know that that's never going to happen. So um, that's my stance on it. Um, I'm not anti-religion, even though I might not believe in one. I'm not anti-religion at all. Um, I think that I just sh- don't like how it plays a role in the government. It doesn't really. If you think about it, it's like I mean, when you look at most like not conservatives, but like Southern Republicans. Okay, well, they a lot were- of their a lot of their. Their political beliefs go back to their like in their abortion thing. It goes back to well, God said this, and it's like whatever. Well, who cares? In modern times, actually, no. Even back then, really, the uh, the anti-abortion argument was made in regards to well, what constitutes what constitutes uh, personhood and autonomy, and that's actually a segment for the next episode. Um, I think that's it was more a question of like, well, at what point is it murder? You know, like at what point is that fetus a human being? But that's yeah. that's besides the point. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, but no, like I said, it plays a good role. People should have it. People should live by it. As long as it's not like oppressive in any way, shape, or form. As long as it's not a controlling force in any way, shape, or form. As long as you're not making it hard on everybody else. That's all I could ask for. So don't shove it down our throats. Nah. You know. I, religion, if, to be fair, if it wasn't for religious doctrine, there, a lot of the laws that we have wouldn't really exist. Because, I mean, anyone can justify a murder. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, that's my stance on that. Alright. Um, I'm going to leave it up to you if you want to answer this question. Um, I already have my answer, and my answer can easily take a while. As we, uh, as we experience. Excuse me. We experience that drunken night at your house playing Cards Against Humanity. Oh, man. And I'm happy that this person asked this question. I was waiting for it. Because it's a very stereotypical philosophical question. When you, someone says that they're a philosopher, that they're studying philosophy, uh, the first question that comes to mind is, well, what is the meaning of life? Um, well, if you want to know the meaning of life, you just got to watch the Monty Python movie. <laughs> but no, nah, in all seriousness. So um, a lot of the times that question can go unanswered because a lot of people are just like, oh, I don't know if there is one. Well... I would argue that the meaning of life has been solved, uh, and this is this isn't groundbreaking by any means. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of modern day thinkers have, have said so, and it just so happens to be the one that makes the most sense, is the most rational, and is therefore the one that ought to be applied. Um, so the question goes: um, Where do you find meaning in life, and do you believe there is meaning in humans in general? So I guess there's two separate questions. So what's the meaning of human life? And then are there meaning, is there meaning in humanity? So if you would like to answer, feel free. If not, uh, I'd be more than happy to go. The meaning of human life to me is 
Well, not it's not even the pursuit of happiness like most people would like to make it seem it would be. Oh, they don't necessarily say that it's, it's pursuit like, of happiness. They, they, they argue that it is happiness is the meaning of life. No, but the argument is the pursuit of happiness. Well, that's what the declaration says. The argument, the, the, like, it's like, the, but the pursuit of it goes back to literally your point. The responsibility of getting to that point of happiness that you want to be at. You know what I'm saying? It's like you have to hold yourself accountable to what makes you happy. Because if something just eventually doesn't end up making you happy, you got to adjust and find something else that makes you happy to give you that meaning to where this life means something to you. Okay. And you're obligated to keep that happiness in your life so that the happiness can spread over into other lives. Because the way that I think about it is like I genuinely don't like it's not that I genuinely don't care what happens to me, but it's like I worry about myself last. The my meaning of life is making sure everybody else around yeah. me is good. Okay. If I notice that somebody's off, it makes me feel off. You know, like if it's somebody that I care about, whether it would be a good friend of mine or like even a cool boss that I'm cool with or like anybody in my family or even somebody I see on the street just like crying. You know, I, I want to know what's wrong with them. I want to know what's wrong. And if they tell me, I'm, I want to help them. I want to make the... It actually brings up a story. Good. Um, it's about 16, 17 years old. I was still living in uh, in Trent at the time. I was over on Clinton. I was at that little uh, pizza place down the street from my house. Okay. And uh, I, looked, I was getting my pizza. And I looked across the street. This woman sitting at the uh, home front just crying. You know, she's sitting in the thing on the ground and like sobbing. Not just like, not like waving her eyes up, wiping her tears, sobbing. So I look at my, that guy's name was Francisco. I was like, hey, Fran, I'll be right back. And I go across the street and I ask her, I was like, hey, you all right? And then her and I just go into a conversation and uh, she tells me everything that happened just out of respect for her I'm not gonna she, she, she's not gonna listen but just out of respect for her I'm not gonna yeah of course I'm not gonna tell everybody what her problem was of course but it was a pretty fucking bad thing that happened and she was on the verge of suicide at that point in her life and I sat down with her I had a conversation with her I, uh, I brought her back to the pizza place you know, sat down with her for a while. My pizza was cold at this point, but that, that's neither here nor there. But br- I brought her back. Her name was Ava. I'll never forget her name. And she uh, was telling me all the all these things that happened. And keep I'm like 16, 17, so all this shit I'm hearing is like, damn, this actually happens? <laughs> so I have an understanding of the world, but I never saw it firsthand. And seeing what this poor woman had gone through, it made me, it made me realize that my whole point of my life is just to find out if people are okay my meaning to life is making others around me know that they're not alone whether I know them for five minutes or I know them for five decades my meaning of life is the happiness around me let alone my own happiness my own happiness can wait at that point as long as the people around me can have that smile on their face for two seconds or two hours. I did something right with my life there, and that's my meaning of life. Okay. Um, so the final question is: Do you believe that there's meaning in humanity in general? How do you mean? Well, I guess humanity as a whole, uh, social interaction, 
Yeah, absolutely. Communalization, things yeah. like that. Yeah, because that kind of goes into what happened with me and this, the me and this woman. Like that was me just doing my humanitarian duty, and I hope that people would follow in that line. You know, like you you see a homeless guy getting a bag of chips or something, or give him a fucking cup of coffee because it's cold outside. Maybe you see somebody who's uh maybe you see somebody in school who's kind of got their ass had their head down all day. Hey, you all right? You sure everything's okay? Alright, if you need anything, come see me. Or, like, maybe, like, maybe even you're struggling. And then you don't want to say anything about it. Somebody comes up to you. Hey, you okay? Yeah, so you start crying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the one little fucking thing. It's like you push over a mirror, it doesn't collapse. Somebody asks, and then somebody throw a hammer at it and it breaks. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what happens. It's like something knocks me down, and then I'm stable until somebody asks me if I'm okay. Yeah. And that's where humanity comes into play. Because that's where it shows you as a person. Mm-hmm. Humanity isn't what many people think it is. Humanity is what you are as a person and how you live it. Because in all seriousness, you could just be an asshole your whole life and not give a fuck about anything that's going on in your life. And that's your version of humanity. Mm-hmm. Humanity's uh, subjective. But my version of humanity is making sure that nobody leaves this world too early. Right. Because of something because of something that may be major to them, but could be minuscule in the long run. Because they have a whole life to live to make it better, and then they've got everything going for them afterwards to make them a better and stronger person. Okay, I respect that. Um, so, my interpretation of the meaning of life really goes down to the... The rational aspect of what actually does give life meaning and it kind of draws on to, to some aspects of what you said and my go-to answer when asked the meaning of life is the meaning of life is very simple it's it's, it's responsibility um, and I kind of when me and my ex are breaking up not to get too personal but I'll keep it short um, she was very distraught, very, um, acting as, as if she had done in some way something wrong to other people and therefore she felt some, some characterization of her, uh, of her personal being in the actions that she chose. So, and this isn't really much to draw on anything, but, and, you know, this isn't even about her at this point. This is more so just, like, in general. I've talked to plenty of people who um, felt horrible about a relationship that they ended or something like that, Um, mostly because the person was depressed or something like that. They had depressed tendencies, they had suicidal tendencies, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people in today's society, especially, they'll, they'll use the um, suicidality as, as an excuse, not even as an excuse, more so just as a means of saying, like, you better not leave, otherwise I'll kill myself. And it's, it's essentially a means of control and means of possession and abuse. And one thing that I like to say anytime someone is facing that problem is that you're, you're not responsible 
for other people's actions. Um, there, there are three things that you are responsible for, and I, I call it the three-legged stool of responsibility, meaning that all three pillars must be there, otherwise the structure collapses. So you're responsible uh, for yourself, to yourself, and to others, but you are never responsible for the actions of others. Um, what I mean by that is the sheer fact that you can't be responsible for something that someone else did. And granted, yes, like law has some odd precedent in it, where it's like if you have a call to action and someone commits a an attack or some act of violence, and yes, then that's technically a legal form of responsibility. But as you go through life, um, your actions and your responsibilities don't necessarily coincide with you know, the actions and um, behaviors of other people. So, say if uh, someone has, someone's like a really toxic friend, and you know that they're a toxic friend because they're manipulative and they are decisive, or not decisive, they are deceptive. Um, hmm. I, we, we've all been there. Yeah. So I'm thinking of one person specifically. <laughs> so and, and say hypothetically, you know, this person had you know suffered with depression, this that whatever. That doesn't excuse the fact that they're a manipulative and deceptive person. They're a liar and whatever, whatever. So, say if you personally decide to say, well, you know what, I, I really don't um, want to associate with somebody who is, I mean, you know, all other mitigating factors aside, I don't want to deal with somebody. I don't want somebody in my circle who is um, uh, just overall a bad person. And say at some point the, that person kills themselves after you know you terminate the friendship and you say I just looks I just had enough of this. It's this ridiculous. Even if they say like oh well you're my only friend this that whatever. But it's like well if I'm your only friend then you would treat me a lot better. Um, so in that sense you're not responsible for the actions of other people. Um, granted if you go tell somebody to go kill themselves and they actually do it then, then that's, that, that's a different story that is, a, that is more so responsible that is your failing to be responsible to other people that's a horse of a different color right that's not even a matter of for uh, the, the actions of another person you are responsible to that person to tell them to not kill themselves um, so when I say that the meaning of life is responsibility I contrast that by saying that a lot of the times, people will argue, and they will, they will somehow come to the rationalization that the meaning of life is happiness, and that that as as euphemistic and as joyous as that would seem to be, it can't be the reality because life is life is filled with pain and tragedy. You go through so many sufferings throughout your life. You know, at a young age, I'm sure you experience the death of a grandparent, and that gives you a perception of death. And then you start to realize, like, oh my God, my parents are getting to that age as as you get a little bit older. And, and then you start to think, well, you know, like, well, at that point, then, then life is meaningless. If, if everybody that I know and love is going to die, then, then what is the point of life? Because I'm not happy that people I love and care about are going to die. I'm not happy with the fact that I am going to die. And then then you start to, you grow up, you experience life, and you're like, you experience heartbreak, you experience relationships and friendships falling apart, 
um, job loss. Uh, maybe you don't get into the college that you wanted. Maybe, maybe you don't get a raise. Maybe you struggle financially. Maybe you don't have anything necessarily to be happy about. If I may piggyback off that real quick, go ahead. It actually brings up a pretty good point because before. Before I went through my turmoil last January, you already know what happened with that shit. Yeah. I was out of work for, we'll call it six months, I want to call it. I think it was six months I was out of work. Mm-hmm. From about November of 2019 till April 2020. Uh, that was when I was out of work for. Mm-hmm. And that was around the time when I was just like everybody else before I was like starting to actually really think for myself. Like I have my opinions and you, you, you and I have had our discussions at that point. Of course. And, but like, cause I think minor league witnesses are going on at that point. It was. And like you and I had our beliefs, but before we be, before, I don't want to say before we got philosophical, but before we started legitimately thinking about what aspects could really make life meaningful, my whole ideology was that the meaning of life was happiness. And then when I went through the turmoil of not having a job and then all my friendships were collapsing and I was collapsing in amongst myself. I couldn't help my family out financially. I couldn't do anything for myself financially. Every job that I had seemed to have found was going away. The, the females I was talking to, whether it would be like the one, two, or three just completely d- dissolved in front of me. Whether the one was telling me that they fell out of love or the one was telling me that they can't do anything because they've had bad experiences with guy best friends or they just stopped talking to you. They just straight up block you. And it was at that point in time when I genuinely found no meaning. And it took me getting my job back and getting back on my feet for me to truly understand that there's more to this shit than just being happy. Of course. Because... The happiness aspect of it comes with your actions. Of course. There's nothing that you... That you can do anything in your life to prevent sadness. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do to prevent you from being... Uh, actually, I'm afraid that actually I said that wrong. There's nothing you can do in your life to prevent sadness. But there's a shit ton that you can do to prevent happiness. Well, um, you know, uh, I'll piggyback off of that and go back to my point. Um, there's... The inevitability of life is tragedy and loss and suffering and pain, but it, it's it truly is one of those things where, you know, there's nothing you can do to avoid that pain. But rather than saying that there's a shit ton you can do to avoid happiness, there's a shit ton you can do to avoid that pain from becoming hell. Because the the line between pain and tragedy and hell is is very very distinct line and it's a very tough one to cross but it's only tough if you make it become tough you can easily just let your life dissolve into chaos and and misery and that misery will eventually uh, manifest into hell and then hell is just inescapable because at that point you become nihilistic and then you don't care for anything um so going back to my point about how the meaning of life is responsibility and piggybacking off of that point is the fact that, yes, you know, I, I think that we all have to admit the fact to ourselves that we are going to experience an X amount of suffering. We are going to experience disappointment and, and death and family and 
friendships falling apart and relationships not working out and dreams not coming true and that is all a part of life but the thing that keeps us going in life is responsibility the reason that we have responsibility is to keep us moving forward and to keep us alive because we have responsibility and we have obligations to things so in saying that the meaning of life is responsibility rather than happiness and I, and I tell the people who think that the meaning of life is happiness I, I tell them that they're juvenile and naive and the reason that is is because it's a, it's a very narrow view of the future and as the saying goes a narrow view of, or I'm sorry it's a very narrow view of the present and as the saying goes a narrow view of the present yields disastrous results in the future so if you're so fixated on the meaning of life being happiness then all you're going to do in your day-to-day -day is figure out how to make yourself happy that day and when majority of the time you're not going to be happy that, that is a reality of life you're just simply not going to be happy because happiness is, is a rare achievement and when you're not happy but the meaning of life to you is happiness then you are completely devoid of meaning once you fail to achieve happiness so that that's why uh, happiness being a meaning of life cannot be a, a legitimate argument because again a life is just filled with tragedy and pain and even on your deathbed you will experience tragedy and pain and you could you could be as happy as you want but on your deathbed you just completely lose all that happiness and then all of it goes out the window and then therefore life has no meaning but when responsibility is what people perceive to be the meaning of life, and I, and it, I don't even want to say I believe it is the meaning of life. Responsibility is simply just what keeps us going. It's what keeps us from saying, "Well, I could either find a reason to, to, you know, end my pain and suffering today with a gunshot to my head, or." I can understand that I have responsibility and obligations to uh, other factors in my life and honor those responsibilities and, and obligations and continue to live. And I think that that's where we find meaning and that's also ultimately where we do find happiness. I mean, you can find happiness in short-term simple pleasures, but you're not going to find true happiness until you have responsibility. And one can't exist without, actually one can exist without the other because responsibility can exist without happiness, but happiness cannot res, uh, exist without responsibility. Um, so, and, and then are the people who are always like, well, what if I'm not responsible for anything? Well, become responsible for something. And it's, it's simple. Get it's, a goldfish or something. It's very simple. Get something to take care of. Buy a plant and water it. Make sure it has sun. Be responsible for that plant's life. And if that plant dies, get an animal. Do something. Be responsible for something. And if you can't be responsible for a living thing, pick up a box for somebody. Get a job. Do something that makes you have a purpose. And you can think with a nihilistic view, oh, well, you know, I'm just another minimum wage worker and I'm just a, I'm just a, uh, a number on the payroll. Well, that very well may be. But at the end of the day, like what you're so responsible for something. And as long as you can live up to that responsibility, you can find happiness in that. Like to sit, I, like Ryan and I both work at a shoe store together, 
And am I completely happy in, in that situation? No. Because I wish that I, I wish that I was in a much faster trajectory towards my, you know, desired goals. But I embrace the fact that I am responsible when I am at work to do my job. And that's what brings me happiness about the job, is the fact that I'm responsible for something. And it's not to say that you don't love the job. Oh no, no of course it's not. Just, it's like and I know you love the job. It's of course just like do. it's just like knowing you, you would want every you you want it to be a bit faster to get to where you want to be. Oh, I would And love that's it. completely understandable. I would know? love it if I can get a law license at 22. Yeah, it's not like you're completely shitting on the job that you have now because I know that it's given you a lot of opportunities to let alone uh, like not like like to not just grow as a person, but it's giving you more of a sense of responsibility in the sense that well, I have these hours today, so I got to do this class first, and I got to do this set of homework, and then that I'll do this when I get home. Of course, and then I could do that, and then I could do this. It kind of keeps you. It doesn't keep you in line per se, but it gives you. It gives you a responsibility, that you, and that responsibility sets you forward, mm-hmm. and that is what keeps us moving. And, no matter what anybody says, people can say, oh, well, love is what keeps you going or family or no, it is not love or your family. It is your responsibility to those that you love and to those in your family. That is what keeps you going. It's your responsibility to keep them going just as much as you keep yourself going. Yes. And that is your responsibility to others. So and I, I just want to elaborate on the three-legged stool. So when you're responsible for yourself, you are responsible for your own well-being Meaning that you are responsible for your for your own safety, for your own well-being, and for your ultimate condition as a human being. So when I say you're responsible for yourself, you are also responsible for the actions that you take. Now, I'm not saying that means, you know, you can choose whatever you want to do on a more relativistic plane and be responsible for that. And somehow that fills the void of responsibility and checks it off the list. That's not true. Um... Being a better person, building yourself, making yourself a better person as you go, um, being more responsible to your own life to live well and to live good and to ensure that what you leave behind isn't just some mess of chaos that can't be put together like a jigsaw puzzle without a picture. That is that is hedonism and that's moral relativism is a jigsaw puzzle without a puzzle or a, yeah, jigsaw puzzle without a picture. It just cannot be put together. It's just... It's just chaos, and it's, it's unorganized. So the, the responsibility to yourself means that you are responsible for um, things that you let happen to you in a sense. And so, of course, some things are unavoidable, but plenty of other things are avoidable. And it's a matter of whether or not you put yourself into situations that, that garners tragedy and that garners unnecessary suffering. So... Um, the, the people that choose to, to take drugs, for example, like, you know, you're responsible to yourself to, to, you know, just to think like, why would I even want to do that? I'm putting poison in my body and I'm going to be addicted to it for X amount of years and possibly never recover. Um, and that, that's a personal decision. And, you know, you need to be responsible to yourself to say, well, it's not good for my well-being. That's not good for me. And in that same vein, it's like, you know, I'm also responsible to myself to make sure that I'm employable. So I have responsibility. You know, that means don't get a face tattoo. That means don't don't have a gauge in your cheek. You know, things like that. It pisses me off that that's real. I know. But like that that's ultimately what it means. You know, you need to be responsible to and for yourself. You know, you need to make sure that 
the the people that you surround yourself with are good people, people that want better for you. And the people that want better for you are going to challenge you. They're not easier to get along with. They're harder to get, get along with. You know, they want better for you. They're going to challenge you. They're going to make life difficult for you because they want better for you. And that's a good thing. You don't want people who tell you what everything that you're doing is just fine and you need to do you and live your life. That is that is absolute bullshit and don't believe anyone who ever fucking tells you that. Because it's not the truth. And and again, yes, I understand that reaction, but I there are people out there who have friends who tell them that everything that they're doing is completely okay. Oh no, I know. And that's the worst possible thing that you can do for somebody. Of course. And they would rather surround themselves with people who tell them that everything that they're doing is fine and justifying everything that they do and usually partaking in the action with them rather than surrounding themselves with people who are like, why are you doing that? You are better than this. Those are the people that you need to surround yourself with. You need to surround yourself with Judgmental people who are not judgmental to be cynical because they're envious, but judgmental people who are like, I know you. You are better than this, and you should do better than this. I don't understand why you are taking this course of action, but you need to stop it, and you need to stop it now. You need to go the complete opposite direction and do what is best for you. And that is also, that is a responsibility to yourself, is surround yourself with those types of people. It is the types of people that want better for you that are ultimately going to decide, not decide, but... Determine, knowing your tendencies, because you know you are your own bias. You can easily tell yourself like, "Oh, well, I know what's best for me," and that's just naive. Like I, I could say I know what's best for me all I want, but at the end of the day, it's just like I'm looking at it from a rather irrational perspective because sometimes, majority of the time, you act on emotional in, impulse. Yeah. Uh, the people that want better for you are going to be like, they're going to analyze the situation from a more objective point of view and just say, "Well." That's what you want, but it's not what you need, and it's not what's good for you. So that that's ultimately what the responsibility of, uh, to yourself and for yourself is. Now, the responsibility to others but not for others is, is, is a rather odd paradox in a sense because it's like, well, how can I be responsible to others but not for others? Well, you're responsible to others in how you treat people, of course, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're responsible to treat other people with human dignity. You're responsible to treat other people. And with um, that thing to piggyback off of that, like you said, like how you need to have people around you to tell you that you could be doing better or you need to do this instead of what you're doing now because you're better than where you are. You got to be that person for somebody. It that, doesn't mean you're responsible for how they take your words and do as they, as they please with it. Of course. But as long as you do your duty to let them know that Hey, you're better than this. Of course. Or what the fuck are you doing? You know, then 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 you're doing something to make them think a little bit. Whether they think you're an asshole or whether they think you're right, you know, then you're clearly doing something. You're in their head. And those two are not mutually exclusive. A lot of the times, I'm the asshole, but I'm fucking right. Exactly. You know what? And again, the amount of people that I've told what they don't want to hear, but they need to hear. And I'm like, I'm listen. I, you might think you might think fuck you. What do you give a shit? At the end of the day, you know I'm fucking right. Because I'm telling you from an unbiased point of view. I'm telling you, I'm like, you know what, like this isn't good for you, you need to stop. Or this is good for you and you need to start doing it. I mean, even then you can kinda of, you can say it's a biased point of view because you're biased to what you want best for the person that you're you're biased to the ideology that you want what's best for them and they don't want to hear it. Well it's not necessarily a bias as much as it is just, you know, an an objective fact. Like, I, you, yeah, but it's like it's still like I think, I think I think you get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. It's yes. like I think I worded it wrong, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So, 
you know, when I say that you're responsible to others, like, you know, like you are responsible for the way you treat people. You are responsible for, you know, your actions towards people. You're responsible for the fact that, um, you know, like certain in this, again, they intertwine. That's why it's a fucking three-legged stool. They intertwine and they cannot exist without each other and the structure collapses if one of them fails to exist or to be acted upon. You know, your responsibility to yourself um, makes you a better person and that responsibility to yourself and making yourself a better person uh, translates into how you treat people and how you treat people it just goes back and forth it is a circle and it is something that has to cycle and it's something that has to repeat itself in order to actually be effective so being responsible to another person that is that is the ultimate and that is probably the most sturdiest of three-legged stools because if you can be responsible and they all have to work like I said they all have to work in order for the structure to be upheld but if you're responsible to another person, ultimately that is where you will find the happiness because being responsible to and for yourself, that's easy. You just have to, you know, think about, you know, who to surround yourself with and things like that. But being responsible to another person, that, that, that involves doing the right thing and, and seeing, uh, seeing the course of that or um, seeing the consequences of that course of action of doing the right thing unfold. That's where it comes down to. But you're not responsible for another person. Uh, if you if you tell another person in your act of responsibility to them that they shouldn't um, request another prescription of oxycotton because you know that they have an addictive personality, you know that they'll get addicted. Um, you you've already committed your act. You've already done your deed. It's now, like even a simple "I wouldn't do that" is doing something. Yeah, but in and, and if you. Even if your attempt is futile and they still request a prescription of Oxycontin and, and they get it and then they just become addicted to opiates. It's not your problem, it's, really. It's not necessarily not your problem, but it's not your fault. It's not your responsibility. It's not you're saying you can't judge yourself and say, well, what a, what, what could have I done better? And it's like, well, you as long as you have fulfilled the obligation of responsibility to another person, you can completely check that off. If you failed in your responsibility to that person to tell them no, they shouldn't do that, then that's that is your failure to be responsible, and, and therefore it's not um, the right course of action. But as long as you fulfilled those three obligations, being responsible to and for yourself and f and to another person, to other people, then you're fine. You know you can't blame yourself for the actions of other people so long as you tried your best. And you did absolutely what was necessary to, to make sure that you were responsible for to them. That is the meaning of life. The meaning of life is very simple. It's, it's responsibility. It's the three-legged stool of responsibility. And it's something that people need to... It's something that people need to act on more often than not. And people have a tendency to, to disregard one, two, or all three of them. And it's a shame. And those people who disregard all three of them typically uh, fall victim to thinking that they're responsible for other people. And those are the people that end up miserable. Those are the people that go through life tragically. And, you know, as often as it happens, it's not something that should be understood as something that is, that should be commonplace, you know. People blame themselves for other people's suicide. Well, as, as long as you took the necessary steps to make sure that you fulfilled your obligation of being responsible to them, you're not at fault. And you're not someone who 
should be responsible. As or, sad or, as that, as sad as it may be, and as close as you were with that person, you doing that is essentially don't like blaming yourself is essentially making it seem like you did something in order for them to do it. Of course, when you were there for them the whole time, in that sense, you know, because yeah. like. You could be there for somebody as long as they're going through and they could still kill themselves. And then you could still feel like you didn't do enough to keep them here when in all reality you were trying your best. Exactly. Some people are just... It, it, it sucks to say, but some people are unsavable. Some people have already made that decision in their head that they're gone. And no matter what you tell them, it's just going to be, I appreciate what you're saying, but there's nothing you can do. Of course, and um, it's a sad reality. But I mean, as long as you're doing your part, yeah, to make it seem like, well, not to make it seem like, to make it be known that you're there for that person, mm. whether it be over like FaceTime or face to face, or you just text them, or you give them a call every now and then, or maybe you just send them a funny meme on Instagram. Yeah, you know, as long as you have that set interaction with that person. That maybe puts the little bit of inkling in their light that hmm, maybe it's not all that bad. Yeah. And you're doing something. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we, we live we live in an area, Ryan and I, that, that is very stricken by the opioid epidemic. God. And I, I know people, I personally know people who have overdosed and died. And I know people who have known people who have overdosed and died. Oftentimes they're immediate family members. Oftentimes they're very close friends. And the the biggest thing that I find amongst them is is an odd, not an odd. It's, it's an understandable, but it's, it's it's a flawed sense of responsibility for the actions of that person. But the the sheer reality is that so long as you fulfilled your obligation and were responsible to them. And, understood that you know you did your best to make sure that they were okay and they got the help that they needed etc etc you know you've you have nothing to fault yourself for and that's that's the biggest thing so uh, i just want to finish with word for word um verbatim what i said in response to the the initial question um so the initial question is worded um where do you find meaning in your life? Do you believe there's meaning in humans in general? This is going to conclude our podcast for today. Um, so I said, the meaning of life is simple. It's responsibility. I call it a three-legged stool of responsibility. You are responsible for yourself, to yourself, and to others. And because it is a three-legged stool, all of these responsibilities must be accounted for simultaneously. Otherwise, the structure collapses. Responsibility gives life meaning because the nihilist who declares responsibility for nothing is entirely devoid of meaning. Doing little things that require responsibility drastically gives people meaning in their life. You are never responsible for the actions of others. Well, the caveat there is so long as the others in question are not your own children, of course. Um, But you are absolutely responsible for yourself. You're responsible for the actions uh, you commit, the choices you make, the beliefs you hold and how you treat others. Um, You're responsible to yourself. You're responsible to take care of yourself, to live well, to educate yourself, to better yourself. And you're responsible to others. Once again, it's how you treat people. The fact that your choices and actions have effects on others and helping others. People will tell you the meaning of life is happiness. And as I've said, I call those people naive and juvenile. 
But the reality is, life is full of suffering and tragedy, but responsibility is what keeps us going. If we fixate on our happiness, we will avoid responsibility and answer only to our hedonistic temptations. End quote. And that's ultimately the the notion that devoids life of meaning is fixating on happiness because happiness is a luxury to say the least life is full of tragedy and suffering and not everyone gets to achieve happiness but everyone gets to achieve responsibility plain and simple so um infinity's end (laughs) likes to uh leave you this evening with the meaning of life hopefully We've answered some of your questions on uh, certain philosophical and existential questions. And even if we couldn't answer anything, hopefully we gave you something to think about. Yeah, and um, obviously we're going to continue. We're going to continue this podcast with a fervor unmatched to that of the minor league witnesses. And I think that we've had excellent conversations this evening, of course. So far, yeah. We're going to have our nice little jam session now. Um and with that, I guess we leave you with a good night, and we wish you all the best. Yeah, and um, we, um, we're going to continue to take questions, um, usually uh, deeper questions, not just like, you know, random stupid questions like, oh, well. Uh, like, why is my PP small? <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're not going to take questions. We will take questions like that. We'll answer them communicate. <laughs> but, but we prefer to take philosophical questions and we like to elaborate on deeper meanings. And that, this is where... I want to finish with this. This is where I get my hope for 2021 and for the future is the fact that people care to know. They care to know what, these, what the answers to these questions are and they care to understand their purpose in life and... We ho- I hope personally I speak for myself in this I hope personally that my take on a lot of this stuff isn't completely foreign I hope a lot of it's more you know layman's terms and people can understand and not only understand but also act upon them and enact them in real life and take from that what you will but I genuinely hope that the, the future can be forged better when we all take these thoughts into consideration and rather than just taking them into consideration we actually act on them as maxims so that's what I want to leave you with I'll leave Ryan to have the final word as long as you got a little bit of thought out of this whether it was out of anger or you were actually thinking about what we were saying then we did our jobs so with that said good night and take care this has been Infinity's End, episode one. We'll see you guys on the next episode.